morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee uh, with your BBC Three Counties Breakfast. I was supposed to be here yesterday. I'm only doing this for a month. Okay, and I came in on Monday and we did the, the torch relay through Lewin and it was wonderful and it was marvellous and everyone had a great time. Then I was supposed to be in yesterday. I was very, very poorly. Very poorly indeed. I won't go into details. It's inappropriate at this time of the morning. But it, it doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> You're only doing a job for a month and you phone in sick on your second day. Doesn't look good at all. Uh, if you phoned in sick for work, I do want to hear your best sick excuses that you've ever made. You can give me a text. You can text me on that, 81333. 81333. You can start your text, 3CR. The best excuses you've given for not giving, coming into work. I had to put my sick voice on in everything yesterday when I phoned the boss up. It was not very good at all. Not very good. Anyway, I'm here. I'm fine. We're going to get through the morning, which is all you need to know. Lots coming up. We'll be talking about HS2. We'll be talking about social care. And I'll be really keen to talk to you as well if any of these stories affect you in any way whatsoever. I'll give out the phone number a little bit later on. So do stay tuned. We'll have a look at the front pages of the newspapers as well. And go gentle with me, please, Three Counties. It's only my second breakfast show. I'm still feeling fragile. Let's, let's, let's not rush things, shall we? It's Queen! Don't stop me now. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge Queen fan. I, I, I enjoy them, but I'm not a huge Queen fan. But I, I had to... Um, I filmed a documentary last year about Vox amplifiers. And uh, so kind of finished filming one day, and they said, oh, right, tomorrow we're off to a guitarist's house to uh, interview him. He, he uses Voxes. Oh, OK, who's the guitarist? Brian May? Do you know him? Uh, yeah. And so I got to spend... It was the, the, the most bizarre thing. I got to spend the afternoon. We weren't allowed in his house, let's, uh, let's be honest. He had standards. I'm, ass- I'm assuming that Anita was there and she didn't want a, a scruffy film crew there. But I got to spend the afternoon in Brian May's garage where he's got about 50 uh, uh, the Vox amps uh, and he kind of sauntered in. And he's like uh, an old professor. He's, he's got, still got that funny hair, but completely white now. And he's like a, a, a bumbling old man. And he's like, where do I stand? What do I talk about? And stuff like this. And he's, he, he got out his guitar, his famous, the, the, um, you know, the guitar he made out of a fireplace. It's not red in real life. It's a dark brown. Uh, and he was kind of playing some bits and pieces, and that was kind of cool. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, this is, this is kind of cool. And I said, so, Brian, what happens if you flick that switch on your guitar and change the pickup? He went, oh, if I flick this switch, this is the Bohemian Rhapsody sound. And then he started playing the Bohemian Rhapsody guitar solo. I'm stood next to him in his garage, and he's playing Bohemian Rhapsody, even for someone who's not a huge Queen fan. That was pretty awesome. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee. I'm here doing breakfast. Is that the phrase? Doing breakfast? I guess so. It's too early in the morning for me to be able to speak cohesively and coherently. So we'll see how we get on. If you want to um, text me this morning, 81333. Uh, start your text 3CR. I want your best excuses for, for bunking off of work. Not that I was bunking off yesterday. I was genuinely poorly. Now, six, month, six months ago, the government gave the go-ahead for the biggest rail project Britain has seen for decades. High Speed 2 will cut right through the children's. This afternoon, BBC Three Counties will be live in Great Missenden, one of the many places in Buckinghamshire uh, where it's a major controversy. On Drive Time with Robert Peroni, Roberto Peroni will hear from a mixture of people who'll be affected. My name is Liz Bristow. I live at South Heath, near Great Missenden. If HS2 goes through, our house will be demolished and they will build a green tunnel underneath it. My name is John Perrin. I live in South Heath. My bungalow will be demolished. I'm going to be... um 
absolutely gutted by it if it's done. It'll be a, a total disaster for myself anyway. I'm Peter Gaiders and I'm a land compensation consultant and I've done a lot of work for Coles & Co here in Maidstone. Many of the claimants or most of the claimants that I've had to um, deal with um, have not actually had land taken. I've had one or two cases where they have, but they've been affected by the impact of the trains, the noise, the vibration. We were very heavily involved in HS1, a new scheme, a new railway, hasn't been done in the UK before. I'm Norman Coles, proprietor of Coles & Co. We're one of the county's leading compensation surveyors in Kent. HS2, there are some advantages because we have some experience. There are similarities in certain areas between HS1 and HS2. Rural areas, I think, will be easier to uh, assess compensation. I'm Martin Sharp, uh, and I live in Broomfield, which is about a mile from the high-speed rail. We've got used to it to a certain extent. Now it's built. When the wind is prevailing, it causes us no trouble at all. But there are days in the winter when it's from the northeast and the sound is really unacceptable. We farmed here within the family for 117 years. I'm Robert Brown. I farm at Hunts Green Farm, the Lee, near Great Missenden. The main impact HS2 are going to have on us is our livelihood. We've earned a hard living and I think that this could be the end for us you can hear more with uh, roberto this afternoon from three and later on this morning on this show uh, we're going to hear from a businessman and an estate agent about hs2 is affecting them if it's affecting you in some way if you live on the, the immediate path uh, or, or nearby could you give me a call because i'm kind of keen to know how this affects you and if it's i'd be very surprised if anybody could call in with a positive story about how this is affecting you Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. I would imagine that most of you, if not all of you, will be calling in with kind of tales of woe about how this is going to be or is already becoming a nightmare. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Maybe you kind of got wind of this and you've been trying to sell your house and you've been struggling because who's going to want to buy a house in that area? We'll be talking to an estate agent later on who um, suspects that um, as people will be struggling to sell their houses, they'll, they'll be renting them and they'll be moving out of the area and renting their houses out uh, as that's the only way they're going to find anyone who's, who's going to come and take it. It, it. it seems like a nightmare, doesn't it? I mean, there, of course, there are, there are positives in, in the great good of the, the nation. But for you individually, how is this going HS2 going to affect you? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. And you can give me a call on any of the stories that you hear this morning. I really want, while I'm doing breakfast this month, um, I, I, I don't want to hear my voice. I'm bored of my voice. I've been listening to it for nearly 40 years, and I, to be honest, it's quite tedious. Uh, I, I'm really keen to get your voice and your input on all of these stories. So, HS2, how is it going to affect you? Um, 
Is it going to affect you? 08459 oh, 555. It's time now, though, to get the latest travel news with Sophie Tyler. Thank you very much, Sophie. And, uh, well, you know, I'm still finding my way around these buttons, so if there are any clicks or pauses or huge gaps, then um, bear with me. Now, the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government is insisting it will press ahead with plans for a mainly elected House of Lords, despite David Cameron suffering his biggest Commons revolt since becoming Prime Minister. 91 Conservative MPs voted against the measure, including eight from this region. But it easily clears its first parliamentary hurdle, even though some believe it will never become law. Ministers will set out their plans later for the future of social care in England. Under the proposals, elderly people would be offered council loans, allowing them to delay selling their home until after their death. But no conclusion has been reached uh, on how to change the funding of the system. In sport, in a press conference last night, Watford's new chief executive, Scott Duxbury, along with new manager, Gianfranco Zola, said it's a case of when they get to the Premier League, not if. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment. And coming up, we'll talk more about the government's plan to reform social care. And we speak to a man from Buckinghamshire who has had to sell his family home to pay for his stepfather's care. If any of these stories affect you today, then do give me a call. 08459 555. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee uh, in, on Breakfast for the next month on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, the government will publish its plans today to reform Britain's social care system. They're expected to cap the amount the elderly and disabled pay for their care care, but it's unlikely any changes will come into effect until after the next elections. Michael Daly's from Marlow in Buckinghamshire. He's had to sell the family home to pay for his stepfather's care, and he says the reforms will come too late for them. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Uh, How much do you pay for your stepfather's care? Yes, he's just moving from one home to another, but uh, he'll be paying £850 a week. Can I ask, without going into too much detail, because I don't want to pry too much, but, but what, is, what kind of care does your stepfather need? He has Alzheimer's, so he's going to need uh, a care appropriate to that condition. Mm-hmm. In your case, uh, do you think the current system has created a cycle of dependency? Yes, I do, really, because um, we were relying on his home, the family home, as a retirement home for ourselves. Mm. And, uh, of course, that's probably not going to be the case now as we've had to sell it to fund his care. So, in a sense, um, he, he and my mother worked all their lives to be independent of, uh, the, of the care system in that sense, provide for themselves, and uh, so have we. And, um, obviously, we're not now going to have that home. So, in a sense, it's creating another form of dependency three dependents instead of one what happens uh when the money from his his, his, from his savings and from the the sale of the home runs out what happens to him yeah well then at that point social services um will discuss it with us as to how to fund his care uh they may not agree to fund where he is at present he may have to go somewhere that they deem cheaper and so the proposed changes that uh, are are being talked about they're not going to help you are they no, not unless they backdate them, um, please, mm. because three and a half to four years from now, his, his funds will be depleted. Hey, Michael, listen, I, I, I will throw him my hat into the ring. My mama, my mama, my mother is in social care. Um, she's only 62, right. uh, and it costs us uh, £1,300 a week where yeah. she is and it's and it's incredible we've had to yeah. do the thing we've sold the house i'm watching her bank account and i'm watching the money just fly out of there and it's frustrating because i'm sure you've looked into it 
there's nothing you can do. There's no way of squirrelling away the money because they can ask for it back. Yeah. Um, they, the, the, the council can come and check your bank accounts um, and say, well, hang on, there seems to be a few pounds missing. We'd like that back, please, even if it's for a legitimate thing. And although I, I, the, the inheritance isn't so important for me, for my mother it's heartbreaking that she can't give anything to her grandkids. Yes, that's right. Um, and it's a real loss of, of power. And, um, uh, and yeah, I think the cut-off point is something like 23,500. When, you, when you, your savings reach that, then hopefully the council will step in and will make some, some contribution. What help would you like to see towards social care? Well, um, I mean, they are talking about a cap, so that would be um, a good idea, and I guess. Um, backdating, I think they could consider legislating to put a cap on what care homes can actually charge because at the moment it's a free market mm. they can charge whatever they like really um so i think that would be something that they could look at they can charge what that kids here's something I, I had a little spat with my mum's care home in buckingshire i won't mention it but they uh, th- i got a letter saying that her weekly rent was going up and i spoke to some of the residents and some of the residents who are count- entirely council funded uh, the council had refused an increase, so their rent wasn't going up. That's right. So basically, my mum, being private, was subsidising the council residents. And so I kicked off a little stink and got the, the, ha- uh, the, um, the care home to say, OK, well, we won't increase your mother's rent until we've reached a, a, an agreement with the council. But they can charge what they want, and the prices are incredible. And because it's not classed as medical care, this is the frustrating thing, if it was medical care... It would all be covered, pretty much all be covered. But because it's social care, you have to pay for it. That's right. Michael, uh, listen, I should be watching this story keenly, and I suspect that we're not going to get anything backdated. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wish the best to you and your family, and I hope things, you know, go as smoothly as they can. Mm, yes, I mean, we could be forgiven for thinking this might... Some might say this is electioneering. It's easy promises of compassion, but no firm timescale or figures. Michael, how dare you suggest such a thing? <laughs> that they're, they're talking about it, but won't bring it in until after the next election. <laughs> well, some people might think that that was the case. Wouldn't they just? Michael, listen, I, I wish you and your family the very, very best. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If this is affecting you, and I know this affects hundreds, thousands of people uh, in beds, hearts and bucks. I say, my mum's in a care home in Buckinghamshire. It's a fantastic place. They do incredible stuff. I'm not knocking them at all i am knocking the fact that she has to pay less uh, just under 1300 pounds a week that's a week she sold her house she saved up and she's getting the same treatment as someone who had spent all her money oh eight four five nine four double five five double five how does this affect you what changes would you like to see um being made by the government beds hearts and bugs weather bbc three counties radio it's time now to get the weather with Phil Garner. Good morning, Phil. Morning. It's it, not looking good, is it? It's not looking good. Uh- Phil, I, I was listening to it Five Live on my way in this morning, uh, and uh, the, the weatherman there said that this could go on f- for, for two weeks. Uh, yes, I think it's not going to be as bad as this for two weeks. I think there will be a few drier, brighter days coming along. Just hints of a bit of high pressure building in at times next week. So uh, there are some drier, brighter days coming along. But the overall pattern of the weather, yeah, doesn't look as though it's going to change for the next ten days. And that it's warmer in um, Greenland and uh, uh, Alaska than it is here. Uh, yes, could well be. <laughs> Western side of Greenland, yeah. 
Was, was that was that summer then? Has summer been and gone? Is that it? <laughs> it feels autumnal this morning, but I don't think so. I think there's still plenty of summer. We're only just getting to halfway through the point of summer. Uh, summer is June, July, and August, so uh, we're only just getting through to the halfway point. So uh, still plenty of summer still to come. Cross your fingers. Hopefully, plenty of sunshine still to come. <laughs> I like that. That, 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 that. Phil is a man of science. And did you hear what he said there? Cross your fingers. This is Ian Lee uh, on Three Counties Radio, uh, hosting your breakfast show for the next month or so. We'll see how it goes. Uh, if you want to give me a call about anything that you've heard this morning, 08459 455 555. We're just talking about um, HR2 and social care, the cost of it. It's well expensive. There's no, you know, you have to laugh because it's so much money. We heard there from Michael, who's paying £850 a week for his stepdad. My mum's paying just under £1,300 a week. It's not good. 08459 455 555. And can you text me your best excuses for bunking off work, please? Phil Collins in the air tonight. Nice bouncy song to wake you up, isn't it? Jolly little ditty. Where is Phil Collins these days? You'd expect him to be playing huge tours and stuff, but he seems to have disappeared. If you know where Phil Collins is, 81333, start your text 3CR. This is Ian Lee. Breakfast on Three Counties Radio. It's time now to get the latest travel news. Thank you very much, Simon. Now, as Simon mentioned there, a new million-pound training ground has been opened at Radlett Cricket Club. Uh, The pitch will be used for training by Middlesex throughout the season, and the county championship sides say they could play first-class matches there in the future. England captain Andrew Strauss and Middlesex director of cricket Angus Fraser were on hand to cut the ribbon on Tuesday. Did they actually cut a ribbon? Do people really cut ribbons? I like that. And the president of Radlett Cricket Club, Philip Marsh, told our reporter Simon Watts it will benefit the whole of Hertfordshire. It's a fantastic day for, for Radlett and I think for, for local cricket in general and for Middlesex. But it's a very, very proud day for Radlett to see the sort of people that are here. We've got Andrew Strauss, we've got the county president, we've got all sorts of, 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 of cricket dignitaries. We've got Donald Carr, his son John Carr. It's a fantastic day for us. Going forward... Looking to the future, what will this mean to Radlett as a cricket club? How will this help you develop? Oh, I think this is a f- because it's such a fantastic facility. I see huge development with our, our youngsters. The youngsters are the future of the club. We need the youngsters to play cricket here as juniors and to come through and then play in our senior sides. Perhaps like Gareth Berg, who was one of our first 11 players who's moved on and is a leading light with Middlesex. And we want that sort of person to be a leading light to help sell Radlett to our youngsters. And it's so important that the youngsters understand. And with the facility we've now got, they can be proud to come down here. The parents can come down here without worrying about what's going to happen to the building. (laughs) Is it going to fall down around their ears? And the parents can bring their children down here with pride and say, we are members of Radlett Cricket Club. And I think that's a great thing for cricket. And it's a a great way of attracting good, young, promising local players here as well to be able to say we share these facilities with a top county side. Absolutely right. And and the fact that they will be able to come down here and see the England captain practising, that doesn't happen everywhere. (laughs) I can't describe what a fantastic facility it is and how much it means to us because it is quite extraordinary. The county president has said to me this morning, there's nowhere like this in, in, in the county. That's going to bring the youngsters. They're, they're, they're bound to come. They're bound to come down and have a look. We've got Mike Atherton who's a member, whose son plays for us. The youngsters have come down and say oh, yeah, I, I played with Mike Atherton's son the other day. Uh, yeah, I hope he doesn't mind my mentioning his name. It's certainly not name dropping. It's something of, of which I think we should justify 
be proud. And would your dream be in the future to see uh, potentially some 2020 or Pro 40 one-day action here? I would love to see it. I really would. I'd love to see it. Whether we will, I believe we will. We had the Australians here in in, um, 1993. There's no reason why we shouldn't see a a, a T20 game or, or, or Pro 40. I certainly would love to see it, and it would be great for, for the area, great for cricket. Uh, this is fantastic news. Million Pound Training Ground opened uh, at Radlett Cricket Club, and it, it's wonderful, and it sounds like it's going to be very exciting for everybody involved with that and the community. So congratulations there. Uh, can I be honest for a second? I don't get cricket. I've, I've really tried. It's not one of these things where, well, cricket is boring. I've tried, because I've got a friend, another guy called Ian, actually, who is obsessed with cricket, and he keeps saying... Man, you've just you've just got to enjoy it. Throw yourself into it, and you'll enjoy it. And I just don't get it. Any game that lasts more than a day—that's not good, is it? And a game where the decision can be made based on bad weather—that—that's not brilliant, is it? And I've I've tried. If you can sell cricket to me, oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five, because this is fantastic news, and I would love to be so enthused. That I would go and t- you know enjoy these fantastic facilities at, Rag- at Radlett Cricket Club, and again, I'm not knocking them. It's a marvellous achievement, and it is going to be superb uh, for the local area. So, c- congratulations, and that can only grow a- a- and get bigger and bigger. But I don't get cricket. I think it's partly because I was no good at, at school, and so I would get sent out way, way deep into the the what was it, silly third man or something. And you try catching a cricket ball, they're well hard. You're going to break your fingers. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. If you can sell cricket to me, I would love you to have a go. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Here till nine o'clock. And it's Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I like him. I like him. He's good. Good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm still getting used to these mornings. I did a job about nine years ago where I had to get up at half past three in the morning. And I could do it then, because I was 30, 31. I was a youngish man. Now I'm pushing 40. It's hard work. And it was flipping cold this morning getting up. And also, my little boy, who's two and a half, um, he, 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 he's struggling to sleep in his own bed. And uh, I kind of had a deal with my wife that while I'm doing these early, she'll get up and she'll look after him. And he was screaming, because he didn't want he didn't want mama. He wanted dada. And I could hear him, and it was kind of one o'clock in the morning, and I was like, I'll, I'll take him. I'll, t- I'll take the boy into the bed. And so I had him in bed with me. And then he woke up at about half past two, screaming again. And I managed to calm him down. I was going, what's wrong? What's wrong? I've had a nightmare. What, what, what happened? There was a bag on me. I said, okay, where, where, was, where was the bag on you? It was on my foot. <clears throat> so I was woken up two hours before I had to get up, because my two-and-a-half-year-old son had a nightmare about a bag being on his foot. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> uh, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties uh, Breakfast. And we're, we're getting you there. We're getting you there. I am desperately looking for a phone call from someone, anyone, uh, who can try and sell cricket to me. Because I would love to get it. I don't really... Sport I struggle with. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to the Olympics now. I wasn't to start with. I'm, I'm really excited now. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of working out when I can go to the, um, the Paralympics. Because the tickets for that are so cheap. They're like a tenner. And kids go free. And I was going to book some last week, but we might be away on a holiday for a bit. So I'm kind of looking at maybe one of the boating uh, events. 
um, that uh, in in door, where is it in, in Eton? Round about Eton, because I can take my mum, and it'll be, it'll be it'll be it'll be a fun thing. And the ticket's like ten quid, which is is superb. Uh, but sport, I kind of don't get, and I would love someone to call up this morning and sell cricket to me. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I've been accused of being a grumpy old man, and I, I, I want to. As I get older, I, I want to lose my grumpiness. I want to start embracing and loving things. And l- let's start with cricket, shall we? Can you sell it to me? Really? What's so good about it? Why do you enjoy it? Maybe we'll find out after the travel. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. The headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government is insisting it will press ahead with plans for a mainly elected House of Lords, despite David Cameron suffering his biggest Commons revolt since becoming Prime Minister. 91 Conservative MPs voted against the measure, including eight from this region, but it easily cleared its first parliamentary hurdle, even though some believe it will never become law. Ministers will set out their plans later for the future of social care in England. Under the proposals, elderly people would be offered council loans, allowing them to delay selling their home until after their death. But no conclusion has been reached on how to change the funding of the system. In sport, <coughs> excuse me, in a press cr- conference last night, Watford's new chief executive Scott Duxbury, along with new manager Gianfranco Zola, said it's a case of when they get to the Premier League, not if. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Yeah. Most places starting dry, becoming brighter for a time, but with scattered heavy showers developing. Top temperature, 18 degrees. Is that like the sea is Celsius, isn't it? I always... Because I'm old money. 64 Fahrenheit is what that means. Celsius? Yeah, why not? We'll say that until we're proved wrong. Coming up, the National Radio Centre will be opening at Bletchley Park today by the Minister of Culture, Ed Vasey. We speak to the project manager responsible for the centre. He's good, he is. Now, if we've got any new listeners, we might have a, 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 few, a couple of new listeners that have followed me over from wherever I was before. Uh, I, I re- thoroughly recommend you check out Jonathan because he, he is just... Um, when he is surprised or incredulous, he can just have the most disdainful... What?! fantastic he's fantastic and uh, his consumer hour is a, is a joy to behold this is ian lee bbc three counties radio oh i pressed the wrong button there we go it's a, not, not not too bad it's only one technical hitch so far Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Speak to you after Gary Barlow and the Military Wives. Uh, that's Gary Barlow and the Military Wives and Sing. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, if you're listening. Um, you can give me a call at any point. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. This is very exciting. The National Radio Centre will be opened at Bletchley Park today by the Minister of Culture Ed Vasey. The Radio Society of Great Britain wants people to learn uh, about the importance of radio communications outside of broadcasting. Don Beattie is the project manager behind the National Radio Centre and should be on the line now. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Ian. Well, you managed to get hold of you. That's always excellent. Uh, wh- what, is the, the ra- what is this National Radio Centre, Don? It's, it's not about BBC radio stations, is it? It's, it's something a bit more specific. No, it's, it's somewhat more specific. It's, it's really about the technologies that make radio work, and it's about the importance of radio communication to the 21st century. If we look around us, we find that there are radio devices everywhere. I mean, we think of radio in terms of three counties radio or possibly the technology that brings us television, but radio communications is everywhere, uh, from our Wi-Fi and our Bluetooth uh, through to our radio-controlled clocks uh, and so on and so forth. And, of course, all the private uh, mobile radio communications, uh, it, it is literally everywhere. 
Do you think... I, I'm going to say something, because I'm, I'm an old man, Don. Do you think that people are spoilt these days? Because I remember being a young lad, about 13, 14, 15, with a tiny little shortwave radio and tuning into really weak signals from the other side of the world, listening to a radio station in Canada and thinking, that's amazing. I can do that on my phone now in, in crystal clear quality. Do you miss a bit of the old... You know, the in and out of the signal and stuff. Are you embracing all of this new technology? No, we're embracing all of that technology because you're quite right that with the huge infrastructure of satellites and fibre optic and internet, you can bring all these communication technologies together to your mobile phone or to your computer. uh, And and you can listen to a radio station anywhere in the world. But uh, what happens at the National Radio Centre is that we explain to people a lot about radio communications, about some of the technologies, about the applications of radio... And then we go on to show how uh, an individual can uh, express a very practical interest in, in, in radio communication through an interest in amateur radio. And, of course, amateur radio has grown a lot of the inventions that have, uh, we take for granted in radio today. But also, becoming, uh, taking an interest in amateur radio can actually develop your skills in that area and can lead uh, to a very satisfying career in the high-technology industry. Don, when you say amateur radio, do you mean kind of the Tony Hancock, the, the radio ham type well, affair? <laughs> Well, we'd rather we'd rather not remember Tony Hancock <laughs> in in that context. <laughs> it was a wonderful episode. It was a wonderful episode, <laughs> but he didn't do amateur radio very many favours. But is that the? Do you still get what we used to call radio hams? Then people broadcasting at home on these frequencies. Oh yes, there are th- really? three, three and a half million of them in the world. Really, indeed. And how does that work? Because it's always fascinating me. Is it that, are they just kind of broadcasting to each other? Could I pick them up on a radio at home? What, how does that work? Well, you uh, y- y- basically they're talking to each other. Right. Okay. Uh, it's not broadcasting in the sense that you might understand in 3CR, yep. because uh, that's from one station to lots and lots of people. Radio amateurs communicate between each other, uh, and yes, you can receive them at home, although some of the communications technologies that we use now mean that you probably need a fairly sophisticated shortwave receiver. Right. Um, but no, it's a, it's a growing hobby uh, in the UK. It's growing in many parts of the world, because I think people find the technical challenges of long-distance radio communication still very very satisfying Mm. and 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 interesting whereas it's really in a sense almost too easy by internet listen i agree with you i'm this is kind of my sort of geeky world and i I think it's fascinating i use the word geek in with the the most most love i can because it is too easy we can you know i can using skype or something like that speak to and see someone in australia and it 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 is a bit too easy so is that part of the pleasure the challenge of getting this to work oh absolutely and and the challenge of understanding how long-distance radio propagation Mm. works because, of course, it changes by the time of day, the time of year, the year, the particular year, and all that sort of thing through the sunspot cycle. And and so there are some significant technical challenges in understanding how to throw a signal halfway around the world. Why did you choose Bletchley Park to host the centre? Well, basically, um, obviously, Bletchley Park has a very good footfall. There are probably 150, 180,000 people a year going through Bletchley Park. But also, it has some very, very strong links with radio communication. If you think about cryptography and code breaking in the Second World War, Mm. all that information was brought to Bletchley Park by radio. And there were a whole team of, uh, of, of, of interceptors who were intercepting German communications and, and bringing the, the unencrypted or, or the pre-decryption code uh, to Bletchley Park for, for working on. And so there's a very, very strong link between Bletchley Park and radio communications. And we felt it was a very comfortable bedfellow for the other 
other sides of the Bletchley Park displays. Now, please, this is this is happening. The National Radio Centre opening at Bletchley Park uh, today. Uh, so often, I go to kind of um, things like this, uh, and it's all behind ropes, and you can't touch anything, and you can't play. Is there an opportunity for people to get involved and do things there? Oh yes, you get you, you you get up close and personal with the technology. That's the right answer. What can uh, you do, Don? Well, there's there, there's a range of interactive software displays that you can press buttons on and all that sort of thing. That there are also um, what we call hardware displays. We call them turn and learn displays Ooh. because they show the basic building blocks of a radio communication system yep. and some of the phenomena that makes radio work in a very practical way. So you can actually see in inside a case the actual components and what they are doing to the signal that you're listening to and and um so that yes there's an opportunity to do to 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 play with the turn and learn displays to play with the software displays there is a small cinema as a welcome uh, welcome introduction to the center and there's a wall of radio history where we go through all the significant events over the last what 120 years i suppose uh, in the development and 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 discovery of radio communication um, and then right at the end, there is actually a working amateur radio station where people can talk to, um, as guests, can, can, can be invited to talk to other radio amateurs around the world. So you can actually Ooh. sit down and talk to people. You can talk to people around the world. That sounds fantastic. Oh, yes. Don, listen, I wish you the best of luck. Don Beatty is uh, the project manager behind the National Radio Centre, which is opening at Bletchley Park today. And when I say geeky, I, I, listen, I, I wave and fly my geek flag proudly because this is the kind of stuff that just fascinates me just fascinates me i've got i said earlier i've got a two and a half year old boy and going off on a slight tangent i showed him uh, an old dance set record player for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago thinking he's two and a half he's not really gonna like this this you know this box this old wooden box from about 1963 i think it is he loved it he loved it he can now he now knows how to stack records on the top where you put like three or four singles on at the same time put the arm across flick the switch and let them play play themselves and he absolutely loves it uh oh, this is ian lee on bbc three counties breakfast let's get your latest travel news now this is bbc three counties radio this is ian lee uh, with you until nine o'clock when jonathan vernon smith takes over plenty more coming up would love your input could anyone sell cricket to me Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. But first, it's the latest news. Thank you, Simon. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee uh, hosting your breakfast show for the next month on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, one of the important things about when I'm doing this show is I can't sustain a whole three hours on my own. So it's really important that you get involved and uh, completely after your phone calls and your texts this morning. So if you hear something that you've got an opinion on. You want to have your little say, then this is the show that you can do it on. Jot down this phone number, please. You have a pen? Good. 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. You can text as well. 81333. Start your text 3CR. If there's anything that we talk about, and we've got some stuff coming up that I know you're going to want to talk about, uh, then do give us a call. It'd be nice to uh, get your opinion and kind of just. Pick up on the vibe that's going on and, and, and what your reaction is to some of these stories. Now, here's something. The new chief executive of Watford Football Club says it's only a matter of time before they're back in the Premier League. 
Scott Duxbury was speaking at a press conference last night along with the Hornets' new boss, Jan Franco Zola. It was their first appearance in public since the takeover by the Italian Pozzo family. Zola told our reporter, John Marks, why he's come to Vicarage Road. I mean, the fact that uh, people like uh, Gianluca, Gianluca Nani and uh, Scott Duxbury were involved uh, has played a big part because obviously the, there are people that have worked with them before and uh, I enjoyed uh, working with them and uh, and also on top of that uh, you know the, the Pozzo family who's uh, bought the club and it's a big uh, guarantee you know it's, it's to have uh, their knowledge their experience and their financial support uh, is, is very important. Are they people that, that you've known from, from your past? Well, I've, uh, I came across with them always uh, playing against them, the, the, the Udinese team. And, uh, and, uh, but they, they, they have a big reputation. <laughs> they don't think very, very well and, uh, in football in Italy, and uh, so therefore they have uh, a lot of respect. What do you know about, about Watford? What do you know about this club that you joined? <laughs> I know, I know it's, a, it's, a, it's a good club, a good community, and uh, they are very passionate of, uh, about football. And I must say, last year they played a very good season. Um, so there, there are all the conditions uh, here to, 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 to do something good. Obviously, you're not the first Italian to, to manage Watford. Have you spoken to Gianluca Vialli at all, get his advice of his time here? No, we didn't have the opportunity to speak about that, but, um, but uh, it, it, it may happen. What sort of targets have you, have you been set? What were your objectives that have uh, been set out? Well, for this year is a, is a transition year, obviously, because we are settling down and we just came at the last minute, so there, there are, there's a lot to do. But, um, you know, we are ambitious, obviously. After we, we assess the situation and we settle down, then we, we, we're going to be more clear what well, the, the objectives will be this year and the next year. It's very much a long-term project, though, and, and you've bought into that. It is. It is. It's totally. You're totally right. It's a. It's a project that uh, is not for the short term, and uh, and I believe that also the the statement that the Pots family released clarified that uh, we are here to do a job that obviously, uh, you know, is is a long project. You're taking over a club that's in the Championship. It's it's a division perhaps it, that you haven't haven't played in in England. Uh, what what do you know of the Championship? It's uh, it's uh, fast and furious at times, and the games come thick and fast as well. It is. It is. Uh, is a uh, is a uh, is a Championship that you have to respect it and uh, you have to play. It's um, you know it's hard. Uh, there will be games, difficult games, but um, but um, it's football, you know. Um, they said the same thing for me to me when I went to play Serie B, and uh, yes, it's tough, it's, it's difficult, uh, but uh, we'll we'll become stronger than that. Have you had time to do much homework on the on the current squad, on the squad that you've inherited? What do you know about them? No, it, well, obviously, you know, I. Uh, I know the players and uh, I saw them playing and I know uh, generally their their qualities but uh, obviously is uh, when you work today with them every day that uh, makes a big difference. And you have a very sort of set style of play that, that, that you want to Im- impress on them so will it be players that fit your system that you want to keep and want to bring in? Yeah, that's what we'll try to do. Uh, we want to we want to play that way. As I said, the club employed me because uh, and they want to play that way. So we will we, we will try. We will try. Ah, don't compromise it. It's, it's the way I, I believe uh, football should be played and the way I I think I know I know better. And so uh, no compro- no compromises. 
as with any new manager, obviously speculation is rife with regards to targets with players coming in. Uh, have you got your eyes on players already? Uh, we have some ideas, but uh, you know, as I said, uh, it's too early. It's, it's good that uh, you know we see what we got uh, around, and uh, and uh, we try to improve the the situation as much as we can. My friend Barry from Watford is over the moon uh, that uh, Gianfranco Zola is is uh, taking charge of the team, and he was tweeting away like a good one yesterday. I think he may have been a little bit tipsy. Good news, it's got to be, hasn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If if you want to talk about that now. A far- this, here's a story. Huh? Here's a story. A farmer in Bedfordshire has proved that pigs really do fly. Hang on. Well, oh, that reminds me of something. I'm going to tell you about that in a second. Five animals from Solitaire Farm in Gamlingay have been flown out to the Falkland Islands. It's to rejuvenate the bloodlines of pigs being bred there. Farmer Nick Keddy joins me now. Good morning, Nick. Uh, good morning. How did this come about, Nick? Did the, did the get, get a phone call from the Falkland saying we need some pigs? What, how does this work? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, we had, there was an email sent to the British Pig Association, um, of which we're a member of, um, and they sent the an email out from there. Yeah looking for uh, anyone who'd be willing to send some pigs there, and we replied. So what what did they say? I'm, I, I don't know much about the world of pig farming, Nick, so please excuse my ignorance and, and walk me through this as though I were an idiot. Uh, what's wrong with the, the pigs on the, the, the island? Are they a bit interbreeding too much, so they're kind of weak genetically? Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, they haven't had any fresh stock introduced since the, um, 1983, so the gene pool is getting a bit, a bit close, and so they wanted to, uh, have some more genetics go over there to increase gene pool and to, so they get better growth rates with their pigs. And so were they all kind of a bit bit small and a bit weak and the, the meat wasn't that good? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. So, so these are to improve their their meat and cause, so they're self-sufficient on the islands. You, you sent you sent five pigs over there. How did you pick the pigs, Nick? Did you pick the most virile? What, what, what's, how does, what's the deal? Yeah, well, we, we, we select them on um, the growth rate um, and then the confirmation so that so they're um, they're good and long. Um, we count their teats, their underlines, because um, for the females, if if they have ten piglets, they need to be able to feed all those piglets. Yeah. Um, and, and and legs and and they, they they all had legs, did they? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. That's, I don't know much, but I know that that's a bonus. And you, sorry, you say good and long. Is that how you judge a pig if it's good and long? Well, you, you want it long because the longer it is, the more more pork chops you get. Boom. Boom, there you go, Nick. Uh, and have you flown pigs out to other countries before? Is this, is this normal behaviour for you? Um, yeah, we sold, we sold some about five years ago to Japan. And we've had a few go to Taiwan as well. So. Really? The, I'm surprised because uh, the Falklands I can understand because it's a, a tiddly little place. It's about three foot square. But Japan is massive. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's amazing, really. But um, they wanted uh, British genetics and pigs go all over the world. We have some of the best genetics in the world over here. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Nick, <laughs> listen, uh, thank you very much uh, for that. And I, I will, do, will the pigs be sending you postcards? Do, do, do they Skype you at all, or is that it that they've gone now? Um, they've gone. They're somewhere flying over the South Atlantic at the moment. So. Do pigs fly well? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're um, they're very laid back animals. Really, as <laughs> long as they've got. A dry bed and food and water, they'll just yeah. sleep, really. So. Nick, listen, thank you very much for that. There's, there's Nick Kiddy, uh, who's a farmer in Bedfordshire, who sent um, five animals from his solitaire farm in Gamlingay to the Falkland Islands to uh, 
to rejuvenate the bloodline. That's what's going on there. These these things happen. Um, uh, I'm doing the headlines now, shall I? Let's, let's do the headlines now. I think that's what we're going to do. Uh, we do have... Um, oh, no, we've, I think we may have... Are we, Lee, am I doing the headlines now, do you think? We're waiting for travel. I do apologise. I'll tell you what we'll do. Is we'll have a quick look at your front pages, shall we? Your front pages. The front pages of the newspapers. Uh, the Guardian. Well, there's, there's two stories dominating the front pages this morning. Uh, the coalition halts Lords' shake-up after revolt. 91 Tories vote against the reform bill. It's looking like this this uh, bill to reform the Lords isn't going to happen. And there are a lot of people saying, well, Nick Clegg, you've sold your party down the line for absolutely nothing. Uh, and there's also this story about the heir to the Tetra Pak fortune arrested as his wife is found dead at their home. Um, who'd have thought that Tetra Packs, they're the little milk cartons, could, could have made so much money. Apparently the 64th richest person in the world or something. Uh, the Telegraph says, pay when you die loans for care homes. We were talking about this earlier on, about how they're looking at reforming the way um, care homes are funded. Because now, if you've got over 23 and a half grand, you pay for it. That's what you do. And they're saying that we, the, the government might look at it after the next election. Yeah, let's not promise anything before the next election. Um, but it, you'll still have to pay at some point. Uh, the Times, Cameron blinks first. Victory for rebels as Prime Minister kills vote on Lords reform to protect coalition. And also, endless rain flows from melting ice. It was raining heavily last night. I do like being in bed when it's chucking it down with rain. I love that. Uh, secret plot to rob pensioners, says the Daily Express. Join our crusade to save free bus passes, prescriptions and the winter fuel allowance. The Daily Mail. Care fees paid after you die. Uh, and the mirror billionaire, billionaire held his wife found dead. The same thing on The Sun uh, and The Independent. It's the coalition and it's the, the billionaire uh, being arrested over the death of his wife. Those are the front pages of your newspapers. If you want to give us a call this morning, it's 08459 455 555. Time now to get the latest travel news with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. The headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government is insisting it will press ahead with plans for a mainly elected House of Lords despite David Cameron suffering his biggest Commons revolt since becoming Prime Minister. 91 Conservative MPs voted against the measure, including eight from this region, but it easily cleared its first parliamentary hurdle, even though some believe it will never become law. A further three men from the West Midlands have been charged with terrorism offences after a police operation last week. Yesterday, three men appeared at Westminster Magistrates Court charged with terrorism offences after weapons and a nail bomb were found in a car stopped by police on the M1. They are accused of plotting to attack members of the Luton-based English Defence League. In sport, Watford's new chief executive says it's a case of when they get to the Premier League, not if. Scott Duxbury, along with new manager Gianfranco Zola, appeared at last night's Vicarage Road press conference, the first appearances in public since the takeover by the Italian Pozzo family. There's a full sports bulletin coming up in 15 minutes. There'll also be a full weather bulletin in a moment. And coming up in the show, we meet a local market trader who says this summer's bad weather has cost him £11,000. Now, dear listener, how has the summer's bad weather been affecting you? I was just saying then that it was fantastic last night being in bed and it was chucking it down like really loud violent rain and there's something comforting isn't there about being wrapped up warm in bed with it chucking it down outside but it can have an adverse effect so far it's cost paul groom eleven thousand pounds wow paul works at markets and events across beds bucks and hearts and so far downpours have cancelled 14 of them he's been telling our reporter jenna benson that it's likely to affect him for the next couple of years 
Arsenal diecast models, uh, anything to do from railway gauge up to 150 scale, buses, cars, lorries and coaches. It's fair to say a lot of your business comes from these outside events where, do. where you're in markets or, or you're at actual events for the weekend. Yeah, I do this every Tuesday, this is the only market I do because uh, weekends on my events, but this year 14 of my events have been cancelled, which is just over half my events, which is a lot of money to lose. Now, what's that like for you as someone who's been planning to work through the summer and has all these events stacked up and just to have them taken away? Oh, just devastating. I mean, we spend just over £2,000 on show costs because all the shows want paying up in front. Uh, given their due, they either offer you money back or put it to next year. But when you spent money on stock all year uh, through the winter uh, and then the shows are cancelled, it just hits you, especially when it's full-time living. This is what I do to make a living. And I suppose this has set you back for next year as well. Because yeah, it does. It has a knock-on effect, you know. Uh, I've turned away two uh, collectible collections. Some people have asked me to go around to buy their collections. Someone's died, their father's died, and they want me to buy their stuff. And I'll just turn it down because I've only got so much money at home and I'm just hanging on to it because I don't know what the rest of the year's going to bring with the shows. Now, you were planning to go to an event, was it this weekend? The, uh, the, this weekend should be Redbourne Steam Rally, but it's been cancelled um, due to the sodden ground. Um, next weekend's a place called Swaysley in Cambridgeshire, but I haven't heard from them yet, so they normally tell you about Monday, Wednesday, they inform you if the show's going ahead or not. Now, you've invested a lot of money and time, obviously, into these events. How much do you think you've lost? Uh, this year, so far, between my, myself and my partner, we're coming up to about 11 grand lost in takings. And on someone who, who's self-employed, trying to make a living, how is this affecting you and your family? Uh, well, it's just me, me and my partner, and two dogs and three rats. <laughs> and uh, uh, lucky enough, Karen, my partner, she's got a good job, and uh, it's a four-day-a-week job, but it's keeping us afloat, really, because the market here has been pretty good the last three weeks. The shows is the main main income for the summer, what gets us by through the winter. But it's just devastating, absolutely devastating. If the weather doesn't pick up, what are you going to do? Uh, look for a full-time job, I suppose. <laughs> I don't want to go back to uh, being employed. I prefer self-employed. But when the winter comes on, I do this market, and then I go back to Dunstable Market in my hometown. Uh, so I do two markets a week, and that keeps me going as well. It's Paul Groom there, who uh, claims to have lost about £11,000 uh, in business because of the bad weather. How has the bad weather affected you? It can be a huge thing like losing 11 grand, or it can be a tiny, tiny little thing. We've just had our house decorated. All very nice. Uh, and then suddenly we've got a leak because the guttering has, has gone all wonky. I think I can... Yes, I, I nearly said a word I couldn't say on the radio then. I do apologise. Uh, and so one wall, it's completely stained because the, the water's coming through. How has the, the bad weather uh, affected you? 08459 455 555. Maybe it's had a positive effect. We'll be really keen to get your stories on this. 08459 455 555. Time now to get the latest weather. Thank you very much for that. That's the latest weather news, and we are looking for your stories to find out. Uh, how has the weather affected you? Because it's been chucking it down, and it? it's been blooming awful. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you would like to give us a call and give me your stories on this, because <laughs> it's, uh, I, 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 you know, I'm kind of quite enjoying it, but I, then again, I've not lost £11,000. I've got a little bit of damp on my wall. That's it. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Now, the Met Office is what it's, it's a weather theme this morning. 
The Met Office is warning that wet weather could continue this summer, even during the Olympics. So with all this rain on the way, is there any way science can keep the games dry? Seeding is something that's been tried in the past by both the Soviet and Chinese government. The Chinese tried it in the lead-up to Beijing, but does it actually work? Jim Dale is a senior risk meteorologist at British Weather Services in Buckinghamshire. Good morning, Jim. Good morning to you. Now, I, was, I read about this a couple of weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. about the, the, the Chinese and the, the Russians doing this seeding thing. Can you just explain what seeding is? Yeah, it's it's actually trying to make it rain. It's not trying to stop the rain. Right, OK. Um, it's, it's actually trying to make it rain. What they're doing is they're seeding the cloud with nuclei, nuclei uh, dry ice is, the, is, is the, the, the one that's used nowadays and silver right. iodide and what they're trying to do is coalesce um, and, and what that will mean is that it, it rains downwind so instead of it raining over say for example a stadium it, it'll, it'll rain some, some miles away and by the time that particular cloud gets to the stadium it's, it's empty it's already happened and what, and what happened during the Olympics last time around in Beijing uh, apparently they fired rockets into uh, rain-bearing, potential rain-bearing clouds some distance away, got the rain to fall over there, so it didn't fall over the stadium. That was the theory, that was the claim. It's, it's pretty subjective, though, isn't it? Well, does it... This is the thing, Jim. Does it actually work? It sounds like yeah. nonsense to me. Well, it's a bit of a theory, isn't it? And and, and actually governments have been doing it in, w- in one form or another and putting different types of chemicals into the cloud for decades now, literally decades. Does it work? Probably mo- modestly so. Uh, I think the origins of all of this wasn't to protect, but it was to make it rain onto dry land. In other words, where farmland had, for example, agricultural land had gone dry, they wanted it to rain, so they were trying to seed it in that way, so artificial rain. So that's, that was the sort of roots of it. It's now being changed to prevent the rain, or at least rain somewhere else rather than where you want it to rain. Is it messing around with nature, I ask myself? Well, it it literally is messing... But putting a load of chemicals into clouds, that can't be a good thing. Well, chemicals are in clouds all, all, all the time, and we've put, put traffic um, particulates into the sky, yeah. the atmosphere, etc. So we do help with that. That's chemicals by by a sort of you know a, a different way. Um, uh, so, so there is also an argument. Some governments have put strange things into the clouds, and people have complained of feeling ill. Or, you know, I, I went on a, an interview some time ago for a, a foreign station exact, uh, on exactly this subject. So there is a lot of question mark and mask and, and stuff about it. But I'm going to say this, because this is the sort of bottom line. And this is, it's, it's the London Olympics, it's the British Olympics. And therefore, shouldn't we really, and I'm asking this question as a, as a normal person, if you like, a person in the street, shouldn't, shouldn't we really be taking in British weather I, come what may? Jim, I agree. Listen, I'm going to let you go because the line is, is deteriorating there quite rapidly. But I agree. It's the London 2012 Olympics. It's Britain. Britain is a wet country. Huh? So let's just enjoy and celebrate the fact. You know, it it won't be the same if the whole audience isn't holding up their umbrellas. That's what it's all about, isn't it? This is one of the great things that we have to celebrate. Sunshine in Britain during the Olympics? No. You're going to any Olympics events. If, if, if the rain is as bad as it's been, is it going to put you off? Are you going to think possibly about maybe not going? <clears throat> oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give me a call about this. Uh, they, how has the weather affected you, and how is it going to affect you? Is it ruining uh, your summer? Let's go to. We've got Bob on the line. Bob, you want to talk about the social care story we mentioned earlier? 
Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm very, very concerned about what appears to be the closure of Bigglesworth Hospital because um, from uh, having a family member who suffered a stroke, yeah. um, it's the only rehab centre for stroke patients in the whole of uh, our part of Bedfordshire. And it's so ne- desperately needed. We really can't let it close. You know, the public have got to realise that a lot of us are going to suffer from strokes in our older age. Mm. And we need that hospital open. There's no way the public in our area can let it close. Well, this has been talked about for ages and ages, hasn't it? And have they made a decision yet? Um, I I don't know, but uh, uh, all I can say is that it seems that they're they're running it down. So it's like cut by a thousand, death by a thousand cuts, you know. So very, very concerned. And so, th- th- sorry, who was it in your family that had had uh, the stroke? My father-in-law. Your father-in-law. Uh, is he still with us or has he passed away? Unfortunately, he passed away because he couldn't get to the rehab centre in time. Right. Well, I'm, so- I'm, so- I'm sorry to hear that, Bob. But, and, and, and if that centre had been closed down uh, and what didn't exist at all, I imagine it would have been impossible to take him anywhere else because it, the, the travelling, transportation, taking time off work, it, 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 it all is, is hard work, isn't it? Well, it, that's right, and the specialist therapists were all there. Yeah. They're all there. You know, we can't... Let- we Bob, can't let it go. Bob, listen, thank you very much. Not quite what we were talking about. It's a story that has been featured on um, BBC Three Counties a lot and will be featured a lot more, Bob, so do keep listening. And as, as soon as there are any updates, I know this has been discussed for a long, long time. As soon as there are any more um, updates, um, then uh, we will, of course, be one of the first places to tell you that. Not quite what we were talking about, but it, uh, thank you very much for your call. If you want to give me a call, 08459 555. With apologies to all of you who uh, love and enjoy the travel jingle, because my fingers slipped on a button a few minutes ago i'm afraid we're going to have to go to sophie tyler completely dry sophie i do apologize let's have the latest travel please sophie your patience is uh, is very generous and is very welcome and the next uh, time you do a travel report man you're going to get the best jingle in the world time now to get the latest news thank you very much this is why i love doing this kind of radio we're talking about bad weather <clears throat> excuse me and how the bad weather has affected you and uh, vic has texted in on 81333 starting his text 3cr Bad weather has stopped me from gardening. I have weeds two feet tall and can't get the lawns cut. Beans are doing well, though. Fantastic. Fantastic. <clears throat> While I'm doing this show over the next few weeks, it's really important that you take part. Otherwise, it's just me rambling on and it won't be that exciting. So if, you, if there's anything, that you, any point you want to join in, you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. You can email as well, 3CR at bbc.co.uk. I'd rather you called... To be honest, I come from a kind of background of doing phoning shows, and it's it, it, it's easier for me. And I think it's better for you as well if you call in. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you want to give me a call, any of these stories that kind of affect you or click with you, or you just got something to say, can't have a chat. Or if you want a good old Barney as well, I'll be honest. I'm a little bit grumpy in the morning, so um, <clears throat> I'm always up for an argument. If I say something you find ridiculous, you can give me a call and challenge me. 08459 455 555. Now, uh, you'll probably have something to say on this. It's six months since the government formally backed the high-speed two rail line through Buckinghamshire. Today, BBC Three Counties is investigating what's changed since January and how local people are being affected. Charles England runs a broking company from his home at South Heath near Great Missenden. He's looking to move away, but told our reporter, Jessica Cooper, it'll cost thousands of pounds to rebrand his business. I'm as disappointed as everybody else, I think. Um, 
I'm not so concerned about the effects that the, um, the, the, the rail link will have after it's been constructed, but we all hear that the length of time, I mean, it seems to vary, but I gather it's probably eight years, uh, of which our stretch is probably going to be, take, you know, takes a couple of years, and the upheaval of um, two years is going to be... Um, it's going to be very difficult to manage. And for you running your, your business from home, um, what impact will that have then? Um, I, think, I think from a business perspective, um, running a small uh, broking company for my house, uh, I don't have a lot of clients uh, coming, in, uh, coming and going, um, which is fine, although from time to time they do. The problem that I have is that if I wish to move because of the potential upheaval in building um, the, the, the HS2 link is the cost of uh, not just rehousing my business in a home and therefore selling the home that I live in at the moment, but also the significant cost to a small business of reprinting all my stationery, brochures, business cards and all the paraphernalia that goes around a, a, a business um, and also notifying all my clients that I've moved um, from my current address to somewhere else. I, I think that's where, uh, that's the biggest impact that I think it'll have on me as a small business owner, running it from home. How much would you say that that, that process will cost of rebranding re everything? I think that's quite difficult. I haven't actually done that budgeting exercise as yet, but I guess it, it was certainly going to run into thousands and not hundreds. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's going to be more than, say, 10,000, but for a small business, um, the cost that that I haven't budgeted for, don't really wish to budget for, of, say, five to £10,000 is a cost, in addition to moving costs, is something that a small business doesn't really need, need at the, 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 you know, the times we, we live in at the moment. Mm. Your house is, is on the market at the moment. Would you be moving if HS2 wasn't going ahead down the road? I think that's a good question, um, and, the, and the honest answer is no, I wouldn't be moving, certainly not at the moment. Uh, I'm not saying that I wouldn't move in the future, um, but certainly that the uh, HS2 has uh, hastened my desire to move, yeah. And what has, has interest been like since you've had it on the market? Um, been on the market for uh, about three weeks um, via a local estate agent who has significant representation in London, and we both have been surprised about the lack of interest um, not just in terms of the, the price, but in terms of people coming round and viewing and then making an offer that we all appreciate is likely to be lower than the asking price. So we've both been very surprised about that. It could well be that the price is slightly too high, but I think more likely it is the impact that HS2 is going to have on this property, which would be about three, 400 yards away. When you talk to people, talk to businesses in this area uh, and talk to, to, to landowners in this area, it, it hasn't gone away. And you almost work on the basis that there's going to be a band of properties, as we all know, within a few hundred yards of that proposed route that are going to be extremely difficult to sell, if you can sell them at all. Uh, and those people, if they can move away, rent those properties. And there's going to be a, a sort of a non-community all the way along that route through the built-up area certainly around the children's later on in the show we're going to hear from an estate agent in the area to find out if properties are selling and if this is affecting you if, if you live within this area of the hs2 um oh eight four five nine four double five five double five i don't so i'm kind of thinking it's a good idea isn't it won't it make life life easier and it will be beneficial for business and all, all of this kind of stuff oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number maybe i'm wrong 
Uh, we've got a, a, an anonymous text. HS2 won't affect me, but those people who it does should stop moaning and thank themselves lucky they get compensation. Some folk are homeless. It's a bit harsh. Is it harsh? I don't know. 08459. Four double five five double five. The government will publish its plans today to reform Britain's social care system. They're expected to cap the amount the elderly and disabled pay for their care, but it's unlikely that any changes will come into effect until after the next elections. Mario Ambrosi is from a charity called Anchor, which provides housing and care to older people. Good morning, Mario. Good morning. Does there need to be a limit on how much people pay for their social care? Uh, there does, yes. A commission set up by the government um, uh, agrees. Um, sadly, we're now a year on from that, gov- that commission um, making its report, and the government is only now agreeing in principle um, with that. And, and it, we, uh, as you say, we're, we're possibly a two years on, uh, a two years off before we get uh, uh, some clarity around how that's going to be funded and how that's actually going to happen. So. I don't think there's any question about whether there should be should be a cap. Um, even the government recognised that. The, the real concern is just when it's actually going to happen. We were speaking to a chap earlier on whose um, stepfather is in social care, and my mum is in social care, and she sold her home, and uh, I'm, I am in charge of a bank account. What good it does, because I'm just watching... She pays £1,300 a week. Uh, it, it does seem an excessive amount of money, but then some people might say, and I've had this argument with people, saying, well... If she can afford that £1,300 a week or £900 or whatever it is for someone else, then she should pay it. What's the argument against that? I think the argument is what people have been led to led to expect. Um, the, the social care, the def- definition of social care, is 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 a is a, is a, is a strange one. Really, mm. it's basically defined as, as as care that isn't funded by the by the NHS. So often, um, for example, some if somebody has Alzheimer's, um, you'll find that they're being cared for in a care home and, and, and potentially having to pay for themselves. Um, issues like cancer or you know things like that will be will be covered through the NHS. So there's, so the, the very definition of social care is a is a horrendously complicated area it's, so it's a slippery it's one isn't it? Mom, some clarity for people mum's right? got ms and um <clears throat> you would uh, we assume that it would be medical care but it's not because all, all they're doing say all they're doing it's incredible what they are doing uh but they you know they're dressing her and they're cleaning her and they're washing her and stuff but there is no medical connotation apart from giving her a medication so that's why it's it's um a heck of a lot of money uh, does this sound like um the government kind of um showing off a little bit and 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 uh, uh, pounding their chest because they're not going to do anything are they until after the next election we've seen some some small steps forward so we've seen um they are talking about um creating a a, a clearer way of assessing people's level of care needs um and a, a more consistent way of doing it across the country that is a small step forward um but as you say i mean this is a hugely political issue um for the second time now cross party talks on this issue have broken down um and it's um yeah yeah i mean it, it's an issue that that politicians are um <laughs> almost don't want to don't want to touch and that that's hugely concerning when we've got you know demographic change is one of the biggest issues that that's facing this country we're all living longer that should be good news but um 
the way the government is um, failing to respond to to that means that uh, it's just causing uh, a huge amount of, of worry and anxiety for older people. Mario, listen, thank you very much for that. It's Mario Ambrosi, who's uh, from a charity called Anchor, which provides housing and care to older people. Is this affecting you? Have you got elderly parents um, who are the, the, possibly going to have to sell their properties to pay for this? You're losing out on your inheritance. I lost out on my inheritance. I'm not that bothered about it. I know my mum is very upset that she can't give anything to, the, to my, uh, her grandkids. And she's distraught by that. 08459 four double five five double five. Or maybe you're one of these people, and I have had these arguments, <clears throat> who think, well, if she's got a house that she's paid off the mortgage, why should we pay for her care? She should pay until it goes to a certain level. I'm not saying at all that uh, people shouldn't pay a contribution to their social care, although she's paid her taxes all her life. But uh, paying all of it, £1,300 a week, £850 a week, we heard from Michael earlier on. 08459 four double five five double five. Now, I promised a jingle, and by God, she's going to get a jingle. Beds, hearts and bucks news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on the BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government is insisting it will press ahead with plans for a mainly elected House of Lords, despite David Cameron suffering his biggest Commons revolt since becoming Prime Minister. 91 Conservative MPs voted against the measure, including eight from this region, but it easily cleared its first parliamentary hurdle, even though some believe it will never become law. Ministers will set out their plans later for the future of social care in England. Under the proposals, elderly people will be offered council loans, allowing them to delay selling their home until after their death. But no conclusion has been reached on how to change the funding of the system. Sport and Watford's new chief executive says it's a case of when they get to the Premier League, not if. Scott Duxbury, along with new manager Gianfranco Zola, appeared at last night's Vicarage Road press conference, the first appearances in public since the takeover by the Italian Pozzo family. And the weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Most places starting dry, becoming brighter for a time, but with scattered heavy showers developing. Top temperature is 18 degrees. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties uh, Breakfast. Now, thousands of people have play, paid tribute to PC Ian Dybell, who was shot dead when he tried to intervene in a dispute in Clacton-on-Sea. The Prime Minister says it's a reminder of the immense debt that we owe police officers. Mary Henry is the widow of the Bedfordshire Constable, John Henry. Four years ago, John was stabbed to death in Luton Town Centre while responding to a 999 call, and she's with me now. Uh, Mary, it's five years since John's death. What's it been like for you during that time? Um, well, horrific at first. Um, you learn to, to cope with it. You find support from people like COPS. Um, they're a, a charity who are set up... Basically, it stands for Care of Police Survivors, and the idea being that survivors look after other survivors, um, and you're welcomed into that family and and made to feel sort of understood, supported, people who, who know exactly mm. how you feel. Um, there's the Police National Memorial Day that's... Um, set up by Joe Holness they do that once a year and again you're invited along to those things and it's a way to remember these officers as the heroes that they were mm. um, obviously Bedfordshire Police have been massively supportive from day one our liaison officers who looked after us who I would count among my friends now um, and you just learn to cope I I had a little girl who was 11 months at that point. Mm. Um, 
she's very like her daddy mm. and obviously she she gives you a reason to carry on mm. each day and and now we both sort of get on with it really mm. i suppose that is the thing i've got kids i've got two and a half year old and a six month old and uh they are they are a reason to get up and get out of bed and do stuff aren't they that must make it in some ways harder but in some ways easier having the, your little girl to look after and be responsible for absolutely i mean i don't know what i'd have done mm. if if she wasn't there needing to be washed and fed and and keeping you doing those normal everyday things and also i think with a child they bring laughter into a house don't they because they're always up to something mischievous and she's very like her daddy very mischievous um was he a bit of a prankster then oh very much really so. yeah he was he was very famous amongst his police friends for telling really bad jokes <laughs> um although i took some offense at that because some of them were stolen from me oh really he took your best material <laughs> to my, and, and it was called rubbish so <clears> unbelievable um but yeah no they obviously bring a lot of humor into things and keep you laughing and keep you sane the death of john created uh massive media attention that, did that make it harder um again bringing bedfordshire police back into it i had an amazing set of liaison officers i had Emma Oliver, Sam Sparks, um, Mel and Anna, who worked continually. When you say go the extra mile, they went the extra mm. marathon. Um, and I was protected from anything that I didn't need. Um, and they were there at, at my side through anything like that. So it could have been a lot worse than mm. it was, to be fair. Um, like I say, I was very much protected by Bedfordshire Police from any intrusive yeah. press. You're talking to us now. Does does this kind of thing help you, or does it? Is it kind of opening up old wounds? Well, whenever you hear of the death of a police officer, um, especially in the circumstances of Ian Dyble, who obviously rushed in where others would fear to tread, which yeah. is what all police officers do on a daily basis, um, it does bring. When you hear that on the news, it brings it all back. And you think of that family and, you know, the day you got that news and, you know, you feel horrified for them. Um, the only thing is, five years on, hopefully you show that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, and there are people there to support you, like I say, cops, Christine Fulton and now um, Sue Lloyd Brace is in charge of cops. I mean, the amount of support... And they'll, they they'll be a- approaching the family of, of um, Ian as well, will they? Of course they they'll will, They'll go yeah. straight there. And, um, and the force will put them in touch. And, you know, it's, it's a big thing. You, you sort of think, well, who are these people? I, OK, I've got something in common with them, but it's not something nice mm. in common. It's, I don't know if I want to go there. or. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a bit of resistance to start with from you. I think so, yeah, because... You, well, you're in denial, I suppose, yeah. aren't you? You don't want to... But when you get up the courage or whatever it might be to to walk through the doors of cops you're welcomed by a family who welcome you in and understand you and mm. and they do a memorial day each year mm. um it's a different memorial day to the national police memorial day but both of them it's not like they're not in competition they support each other they're all it's all the same people there together yeah. um and they do a lot of fundraising together as well mm. um but they i, I guess you walk in there the first time and and it feels horrific and you think are we going to be sitting around just talking about this terrible thing that's happened to us and 
you're doing nothing but talking about that. No. So um, it's not like that. It's you have fun. You actually laugh there and don't feel guilty for laughing, and and they become like an extended family to you. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to you. Uh, you know, I think that the, these kind of incidents highlight that police get a lot of stick, but a lot of them are heroes in the proper sense of the word. Um, it comes with the job. It, yeah, it does. Listen, Mary Henry is the widow of Bed- Bedfordshire Constable John Henry. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate your time. Thank My you. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, moving on, and it seems almost slightly inappropriate to move on, but uh, I have to, as is the nature of this job. After hosting the Love Luton Festival, some of the town's green spaces are a little bit the worse for wear. There's concern that Wardown Park and Pope's Meadow could take months to be restored uh, after spectators and bad weather churned up the grass. Our reporter, Jenna Benson, is in Wardown Park now with Labour councillor uh, Mohammed Ashraf and head of parks Barry Timms. Yes, I'm standing between Pope's Meadow where the main stage was held and also Wardown Park, the beautiful park with a lake in the middle uh, where the BBC introducing tent and the free events were held. But at the moment, some of the grass is looking like it was ploughed by a bit of a, a wobbly pony. Now, Mohammed, how bad was the damage to the parks over the weekend? Uh, extended damage, uh, as you can see, uh, it's... Uh difficult to assess as many. I know that uh, green flag judges have inspected and uh, seen it. But I, I'm, I'm sure uh, if you have a couple of dry days and it'll be back to its normal use as such. But, I, I, you know, if, if you're looking at it back, you know, getting to normality, I, I would say within four weeks, I suppose, if we get a, a decent weather. So you think four weeks and this could be completely back to normal? Because at the moment it's, it's very muddy, it's very hilly and, and there are a lot of marks where the trucks have been through. Yeah, no, no doubt, but what it tends to... I don't remember, you know, we had a love festival which 75,000 people attended it and, and which was for good for the town as a whole. But, uh, this, you know, with the weather like this, obviously nobody can predict that uh, it was going to be um, that wet. But having so much rain... Um, you know, I'm looking at, uh, when I say one month, uh, you're looking at sort of uh, uh, germinating the seeds and no doubt the par- a park will be open to the public uh, as soon as the equipment's off the park. So what uh, are you planning to do? Are you planning to flatten the land again and then reseed it? Uh, we definitely have to reseed it and, it'll, uh, you know, you'll have to give it about three, four weeks to, for the seeds to grow actually. But a p- park will be open to the public. Now, Barry, you are the head of parks. Uh, is this a really sad sight for you or just a sign of a really good weekend? I just... Um, I, I, my business is encouraging people into the park and on a weekend of 75,000 people really is, is a wonderful opportunity. People have come to the park, enjoyed the park and gone home again and talked about how wonderful Wardown and Pope's Meadow was. So, for me, yes, it's a problem, but it's part of our day job and uh, we'll be on to it to uh, get it get it reinstated and, and uh, back to normal. Mohammed, you're waiting for the results of the green flag inspection. When can we hear the results? Um, I don't know, to be honest. It's up to uh, uh, judges to come back to us, but we'll, we'll see what they'll, have to they, uh, what they'll have to say. But I, I presume probably a couple of weeks or a couple of... 10 days, something like that. Soon. Soon, <laughs> soon hopefully. Yeah, soon I will. Well, the sun is shining across Wardown Park and Pope's Meadow at the moment. Yes, it does look a bit muddy, but hopefully, as Mohammed and Barry say, it could be back to normal within just four weeks. Jenna, you're there looking at it. What do you reckon? Four weeks? Well, I've got a patch of grass in my garden, yeah. and it, it's dirty, and it was just completely muddy, but the soil that I've got is, is a hard clay. Now, I have been trying for two to three months to get <laughs> some grass to grow on that, but thankfully, because of the rain that we've had, 
it has grown. So it could be possible, but at the moment, as I say, it looks like it's been ploughed by a wobbly pony. <laughs> well done, Jennifer, standing in a cold, wet field at this time of the morning. That, that <laughs> is much... Your dedication to the, the, the service is uh, greatly appreciated. If you've seen that field since the, uh, the events of the weekend, uh, can you give me a call? 08459 455 555. I've not been there. I've not seen it yet. So I don't know what it looks like. Is it a complete and utter mess? Do you reckon it'll be okay in four weeks, or is it going to take a whole lot longer? Was it worth it? 08459 455 555. Time now, though, to get the latest travel news with Sophie Tyler. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. I'm here for the next few weeks. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. We'd love to get your view on all of the stories we're talking about this morning. Here's the latest news with Simon. Good morning, listener. This is Ian Lee on Breakfast on BBC Three Counties Radio. JVS will be on at nine. He'll pop in in a few minutes to tell me what's happening on his show today. Talking about Watford Football Club, that is. Uh, the Lord's Reform and Arthritis. Yeah, yeah, oh, yes. Well, we don't let anything slip past us here. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR. Or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Now, the new chief executive of Watford Football Club says it's only a matter of time before they're back in the Premier League. Scott Duxbury was speaking at a press conference last night along with the Hornets' new boss, Gianfranco Zola. It was their first appearance in public since the takeover by the Italian Pozzo family. He explained why Hornets boss Sean Dyche was asked to leave. It's nothing at all uh, against uh, Sean. I mean, one of the examples the Pozzo family gave is that they don't actually know a lot about uh, Sean and that they have complete faith in uh, Gianfranco. If they stayed with a manager they didn't know and wasn't their choice, he loses the first five games, there is uh, insecurity and you, uh, you have doubt and you remove that manager, whereas they believe in Gianfranco, they believe in the management they're putting in. We're going to talk now to Professor John Fowle, who chairs Watford Supporters Trust. Good morning, John. Good morning. Can I ask, what are you a professor in? In uh, water science <laughs> oh, at Sunfield. Fantastic. Really appropriate. <laughs> wonderful. I was, I was hoping it would have no connection to football, football whatsoever, but it, and it doesn't. Excellent. Now, are you as optimistic as the management? Mm. Are Watford heading for the Premiership? Um, whether we're he- I think we're heading for the Premiership. I think that's a probability because that's part of their business plan. But the time frame, I think, is a whole different ballpark. Um, I talked to uh, Gianluca Nani uh, last night and to Scott Duxbury. And, in fact, uh, the, the view is that perhaps this next season will be a transitional season and with no great expectations from that, apart from staying in the division. Um, but it will kick on. Once they've got their set up there, we will kick on for the future. And the most important thing for us in the Trust is that this looks like a long, stable period of ownership. Mm. That's been really something we've desperately needed. Um, <clears throat> up to now, in the last sort of six or seven years, perhaps even the last ten years, it's been a case of we've been living in interesting times as per the Chinese curse. Uh, now, I'm hoping that we're going to be living in interesting times, but really interesting and pleasantly interesting times. They didn't really say a lot mm. last night, no, specifically, did they? Do, are you any the wiser as to what's happening? Yes. 
a little bit. Um, the first thing is that uh, Gianfranco Zola has had very little time to look at the setup at the club and to look at the players. Right. So he wants to take a little bit of time to think about what's needed. Now, clearly, with the two players that have been proposed to come in, they have been talking to Sean Deitch uh, up to now because two of the players that we clearly needed, one was a left-sided midfielder and we definitely need a centre-forward um, since our centre-forward is in prison. Um, and so they're thinking ahead. They're looking to strengthen the side where it's appropriate. But even more important, they're looking at maintaining the infrastructure and making sure that the infrastructure is improving, yeah. that we have a long-term future, um, not only at Vicarage Road, but also long-term future in terms of the club at the heart of the community. So the community trust, they are very keen on that. They're keen on keeping the um, uh, academy at the moment, certainly, and they've been impressed by that. So a lot of the things that we're hearing from them are very good. Now, OK, there are going to be some things, I'm sure, that we may not be quite so happy about. But talking to the um, management team last night... I feel that we can develop a very good working relationship and a partnership between the fans and the club. What are your reservations about <clears throat> the new regime? Well, the reservation is that you can't guarantee um, that everything's going to go well on the field and the Pozzo family have been known to be, um, when it doesn't, they're patient, but they're not that patient. <laughs> OK, right, yes. <laughs> um, and that could be problematic if things don't go well. Um, they have no experience of the championship, and the championship is a tough league to play in and get out of, as many clubs have found out. So it may not be quite as easy, although I think they've been very careful about looking at this. And certainly um, Gianluca Nani has been uh, observing the situation, I think, for some time. So uh, that's one area. The other is that if we do get um, a number of lone players, that can be very disruptive. And it can be um, bad for the supporters because their identification with the team needs to be maintained. They won't know what names to shout. Well, they, they, they won't have time to come mm. up with, the, with those witty songs. They might not be able to pronounce them. Well, exactly. <laughs> very, very quickly, uh, um, uh, John, <laughs> what do you think about the way the departure of Sean Dyche was handled? I thought it was handled with some dignity. Um, what they've done is they've not made a big deal of it. They ha clearly have spoken to Sean at some length. Um, and the tributes that he went with, I think, are good. I think it's unfortunate that uh, Sean has gone the way he has with his main support uh, a team. But I'm afraid that tends to be what happens when you get new owners in a club. They, they boot you out. Hey, listen, I've, I've not managed a football club, but I've been in places where they've been taken over, and I've been booted out many, many times. Thank you. It's Professor John Fowle, who chairs the Watford Supporters Trust. They're talking about the changes that are going on there. 08459 455 555. Now, David Cameron, uh, David, Cameron, uh, David Cameron has suffered his biggest Commons revolt since becoming Prime Minister. 91 Conservative MPs, including eight from the three counties, voted against plans 
stands for a mainly elected House of Lords. It was a clear case of the Tories sticking their fingers up at the Liberal Democrat partners. Our political correspondent, Paul Rowley, was, was in Westminster last night. Paul, good morning. Good morning, David. Uh, it's Ian, but never mind. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, don't, don't worry, we're, we're all clinging on to the ghost of David Priever. He'll be back at some <laughs> point. There's no reason you should know that. Now, despite the revolt, <laughs> the plans did go ahead. How significant is the result? Well, it's something of a paradox, Ian, because on the one hand, the legislation was given a second reading, as they call it, by a margin of almost four to one, which sounds pretty decisive. And yet, this rebellion was was only four votes short of the biggest revolt since the Second World War. Now, wow. you, get, you get the usual suspects who were rebelling, like Nadine Doris in, in Medbedfordshire, for, for example, and Maine in St. Holborn's. But a lot of those who revolted uh, were, were the new intake. People like Richard Fuller in Bedford, Richard Harrington in Watford, never rebelled in his life before. Uh, uh, Steve Baker in, in Wickham. These are on the on the first rung, as it were. You would have thought, as the new intake, they'd be slavishly loyal yeah. because they want preferment. They want to climb up that greasy pole. The, the uh, first two you mentioned, sorry to interrupt, the first two you mentioned, are they always... Uh, revolting then? Well, I mean, Nadine not Doris is incredibly independent-minded. People know where she stands, right. and uh, on lots of issues, it, this is not a surprise. The other surprise at the other end is the likes of Peter Lilly, someone who's experienced the top offices in government yeah. uh, in his time. He was the deputy leader of the Conservative Party. For him to rebel as well is significant. This is across the entire Conservative Party, so it's a real worry for, for David Cameron. He's got a serious problem on his back bench. Well, where does this leave the coalition, then? It's, it's not in a healthy state, is it? It's in a fracture state. I don't think it's the end of the coalition because there's been too much invested by both the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats for it to fail. If they were to pull the stumps early, a lot of Tory MPs might want that and it would force an early election. If that were to happen, I think the Liberal Democrats would be annihilated at Mm. this stage. So they want to keep in with this because, frankly, if the Liberal Democrats get House of Lords reform on the statute book, it's a massive prize for them. This is something they've been fighting for since the days of Lloyd George uh, a century ago. Uh, So, you know, they're going to stick with it, but I don't think it's going to happen. Well, as I say, is this reform ever going to come about? It doesn't look likely now, though, no, does it? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, over the years, they've tried and failed. There's no public appetite for change for this one. Yeah, there's a powerful argument that many in the House of Lords are there as a result of accident of birth or political patronage, but there's an awful lot of expertise in there as well. People who aren't members of political parties, mm. scientists, doctors, lawyers, bishops, people from the arts world. If you have another elected chamber, it could threaten the supremacy of the Commons, is the argument. It risks being filled with a bunch of party hacks so they're going to return to it in the autumn so it's not uh, crisis averted it's cr- frankly crisis delayed i spoke to many of these rebels last night if anything they appear emboldened by their actions they've no qualms about giving dave and nicker a bloody nose and for good measure and they're willing to give them a kick in the um, in the hereditary thank you and very quickly because i know you've got to go in a second the, the liberal democrats must be regretting this coalition now because the, the the reform on voting didn't get through this isn't going to get through and these were their two big things weren't they it is but the fact of the matter is they spent uh, so many years as a party as the third party I remember after the 1970 election there were five Liberal MPs Uh, so you know being in government having the Deputy Prime Minister and having five Cabinet Ministers that is progress that's what it's all about they always say they believe in partnership politics I'll add one thing at one stage when the the party was formed after the merger of the Social Democrats and the Liberals Paddy Ashdown's party was 3% in the opinion polls they were like an asterisk effectively and going back even further in the 1970s 
70s, and I was still around then covering uh, politics. Jeremy Thorpe was the uh, Liberal leader. He was in the High Court on a conspiracy to murder charge. So it has been worse for Barnes <laughs> parties. <laughs> to be in government, hey, you know, this is what it's all about. I don't, as I say, I don't see it's the end of the coalition. I think they're going to have a difficult time of it come the next election. But uh, a lot of individual Liberal Democrat MPs work incredibly hard because they've not got the party backing that the Labour Party, they've not got the money that Labour and the Conservatives have. So I suspect it's going to be fascinating. They could still be in power at the next election, even if they lose seats, because they could be in power, holding the balance of power, with not maybe not the Conservative Party, possibly the uh, the Labour Party. So uh, it's Well, there we go. Paul, listen, I've got to have to end it there, but thank you so much for that. It's Paul Rowley, who was uh, in Westminster last night. He'll also be entering um, the uh, Olympics, representing Britain, in the talking <laughs> competition. Paul, thank you very much for that. Very informative. Uh, time now to get the latest on the roads. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Time for the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government is insisting it will press ahead with plans for a mainly elected House of Lords, despite David Cameron suffering his biggest Commons revolt since becoming Prime Minister. 91 Conservative MPs voted against the measure, including eight from this region. But it easily cleared its first parliamentary hurdle, even though some believe it will never become law. Ministers will set out their plans later for the future of social care in England. Under the proposals, elderly people would be offered council loans, allowing them to delay selling their home until after their death. But no conclusion has been reached on how to change the funding of the system. In sport, Watford's new chief executive says it's a case of when they get to the Premier League, not if. Scott Duxbury, along with new manager Gianfranco Zola, appeared at last night's Vicarage Road press conference, the first appearances in public since the takeover by the Italian Pozzo family. And now the weather for beds, hearts and bucks. It's going to be wet. Basically, that's it. It's going to be wet. Uh, most places <laughs> starting dry, becoming brighter for a time, but with scattered heavy showers. Top temperature is 18 degrees. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is in the studio with me. Mm. Very exciting. Yeah, what? You being back. Oh, thanks so much. Did you have a nice, I... was, did you have a nice holiday? Yes, I had a lovely holiday, thank you. you impressed with my colour? Where, where is it? What? <laughs> you've, got, you've got red cheeks. <laughs> Has and it that's come it? off already? It's, it, there's nothing it's not, there. It's not lasted. Well, you know what it's like? You have a couple of shaves... And it all goes, doesn't it? <laughs> you shaved your entire body. I've Look shaved. At your hands are pale. I've, I've sha- now, how dare you? Look, you should have seen me before. Look. Oh, okay. Now, there is a little bit of. Uh, a bit redder than me. That's, uh, well, I'm blonde, you know. I tend to go red, then slightly rusty, and then back to white again. I had a fantastic time doing your show. Oh, so I gather you were far too good. I was excellent. No, I wasn't. I, I, I managed to, to stagger through it. Um, th- there were two shows I was really pleased with. The rest were. Uh, but your callers. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? They're of a sort, aren't they? They, uh, I've paid a lot of money to get the listeners that I have, I'll have you know. Uh, <laughs> there was one woman, she phoned up and I said, so, listen, I've been filling in for a bit now, what do you think, am I doing any good? <laughs> well, anyway, she just completely ignored the question. Yes, that sounds like a, like a JVS show listener. And I hated phoning up companies. How do you do that uh, for the consumer hour, which I love listening to, and I loved, you know, presenting that bit, but then you actually have to go up and you make the phone calls to the companies. I love it. Really? Love it. Yeah, and the more awkward and the more unpleasant they become, yes. the more I love it. I've heard about the car man. You've heard about the car man, yes. Jonathan, I've heard the bits that can't be broadcast. Jonathan Vermin Smith, yes, yes, he called me all kinds of names the other day. It's all right. It's okay. I've got one man at the moment who uh, I love it when he, he, he texts in and he emails in with his complaints about my show. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was Dear DFS. <laughs> uh, last week, I, no, the week before last, I was uh, Dear KFC. Yeah. Oh, clever. <laughs> I see what he's doing there. I see what he's doing. I love it. Do you even know what KFC is, Jonathan? Uh, I've never been in one, but I do know what they are. Coming up at nine on the big phone in, do you know I have a friend called Annabelle? She's never been in an Argos. <laughs> 
How can you go through your whole life and never go in an Argos? <laughs> it's worth it for, for the pens. She's never been in there. Do you go in there and take the Argos pens? Yeah, of course, they're great. Uh, right. I, I've only ever seen one episode of Friends, if that uh, is any... Doesn't, doesn't look quite okay. Really? Yeah, I see one episode of Friends. Oh. Uh, coming up this morning on the big phone-in at nine, is the cost of elderly care worrying your family? As you've been discussing this morning, ministers will set out their plans today for the future of social care in England. Among the measures, elderly people will be offered council loans, allowing them to delay selling their home until after their death. Nearly 20,000 people every year are forced to sell their property to pay for a place in a care home. Well, from nine this morning, Morning. I want to hear your views on this and your experiences. Is the cost of elderly care worrying your family? If you are perhaps going through the process at the moment, you have an elderly mum or dad, and you're very, very concerned about whether they are now at that point whereby they could do with going into a care home because they need more care than they can be, be offered at home, who's going to pay for that? Are you worried about the cost? Do you feel that uh, that the state picks up enough of the tab? Should the state do more? Or do you think there's too much responsibility on the state? Do you think it should just be down to individual families to pay? Is the cost of elderly care worrying your family? I'd love your call. 08459 455 555. If you don't mind, Ian, when you've finished at nine, I might just take over. <laughs> You actually said that out loud, didn't you? That's a great line. Can you use that line again? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Every day of the week, if you want. (laughs) Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on at nine. Oh, and here's his voice again now. He has such a dirty laugh. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. (laughs) That's the first time I've played one of those jingles. They're fun, aren't they? We need a good thunderstorm to clear the air. That's what we need. I'm getting a lot of headaches. Uh, And so we need a thunderstorm just to break everything up. Uh, We've had a couple of texts, um, 81333, start your text 3CR, these are the best. Mandy of Luton, talking of Love Luton, which was the, the, the big event at the weekend, why are the temporary neon signs which advertise the event at the roundabout off the M1 at Junction 10 still lit? It looks so bad when visiting the town. I thought that. Someone, someone nip out from the council today and just go and turn them off and tow them home. Uh, and uh, Gary from Catford, previously from Dunstable, says, Ian, I prefer the rain. It helps me sleep at night, but I don't like how it makes my colleagues at work miserable and moaning. A lot of people do do moan about the, the, the rain. Uh, if you want to give me a call, 08459 455 555, or you can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Now, around 2,000 farmers will be demonstrating in London today over cuts to the price of milk. They say the amount of money they're getting isn't enough to cover production. John Whitby is a dairy farmer from South Bucks and will be travelling to Westminster today. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ian. That's why I'll be going up there this morning. T- tell me why you're going. What, you're, what, what are you protesting against? Well, I'm protesting against the price of milk. We, we, we have a price of milk that's unsustainable. We can't produce milk for the price we're being paid for it. And long term, that will mean that we have to disperse the herd and that will be the same across uh, large parts of the country unless we can get the price back up again so can, can i ask how much do you get paid for milk how does this work we get paid about a third of the retail price so in my case because i've got jersey cows the, the price is very slightly higher that's the, that's the about, good stuff isn't it the jersey yeah, stuff really, really rich and creamy stuff. yeah that's right we get about 30p a litre now that's been cut 2p uh, just recently and a further 2p cut is threatened right it costs me uh, 32p to produce it. Hang on a minute. Just produce it without actually uh, living from uh, the, the, any profit element or anything else like that. So it, it's uh, it's completely unsustainable, these cuts. And I'm afraid it comes down to 
some very aggressive discounting by the large retailers, the supermarkets. And is that where the problem lies? It's with the, it's with the large supermarkets making stuff cheap. I, I think they're trying to en- entice customers into their uh, into their supermarkets and using milk as what we might like call a lost leader. As, a, as a people, most people buy milk, and we've seen the price come down uh, dramatically over the last. Uh, retail price come down over the last uh, few months and um, i'm afraid that the people who are paying for that are not the actual retailers but the end produ- the producers the farmers themselves you would understand though john that that um your average punter out there times are hard and a discount they can get anywhere they're going to snap on aren't they absolutely and i i would look to see discounts in wherever i could and buy mm. buy discounts but i i think that we have a wider picture here our um, uh, cows are an intrinsic part of the British countryside. We're all looking to produce as much food from our own resources as possible. Uh, here we are sending completely the wrong messages to farmers to say, look, actually, we don't want you anymore. We'd rather import the food. Mm. Uh, and that, that, I think, isn't really a message that the majority of people want to see. Uh, and it, uh, I'm not asking for prices to go up dramatically. I'm just saying let's return them to where they were. Let's stop this aggressive mm. discounting and go back to uh, a more realistic price. Not, no, no, not a huge price, but a price that, that will cover the cost. Here's something. Farming Minister Jim Pace uh, didn't know how much a pint of milk cost the other day. Does that sum it all up for you? Uh, uh, not completely. I think we're all in it together. Yeah. You know, we all should know well uh, I, I, um, where we are. Um, you know, when I, I, I have to look after my animals, uh, irrespective of the cost. Their welfare is my prime consideration. A good farmer will always look after his, farm, his animals well. Um, because they're the, they're ultimately going to uh, pay back for him, but I can't afford to con- continue to subsidise the price of, f- of food. The message I'm getting is that you don't want me, uh, and I think it's a shame because a thousand people came to my farm when we mm. opened it up in the middle of June, all interested in wh- where their food food is produced, how it's produced, mm. where it comes from. I think there's a lot of interest out there, uh, and the messages we're getting are the wrong ones. We need to produce British food. For British consumers. John, listen, best of luck. I'm sure we're going to follow this story and find out what the end result is. That's John Whitby, who's a dairy farmer from South Bucks. He's going to be travelling uh, to Westminster today to uh, argue about the uh, the price of milk. Um, we've got a caller. We've got Gary. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm stumbling through this just about, and this is... I sh- should have been in yesterday, but I was poorly. Uh, right. I think I'm getting there, Gary. What, what have you got for me this morning? Well, you were saying earlier, I was, I was listening, and you were saying that you, you like the rain, and you yes. wanting people to call it. I like the rain. Yeah. It, it helps me sleep at night. Yes. It's a bit cooler yeah. around. Uh, the only thing I don't like, it makes people around a bit grumpy. They do get a little bit miserable, don't they? And all they talk about is the flipping weather. Yeah, yeah. All they get, they bang on about it a lot, and it's just like, get on with it. You know, it's Britain, it rains part of what we do we did have a fella on the show earlier on though who's lost eleven thousand pounds of business because of the weather well that's just mm, that's a bit harsh I <laughs> no, yes exactly that's harsh uh but uh, but it'll be sunny again soon would it gary thank you very much for <laughs> gary's opinion it'll be sunny again soon would it i don't know if it will gary that's the thing the way things are going, it may never be sunny again. Thank you very much, Simon. Uh, we're just talking there, um, off air, about getting old and being uh, unfit and, and physical. And doing something like the, the Tour de France is ridiculous. My father-in-law, who is 64, last year, I think, or maybe it was the year before, uh, cycled a, a section of the Tour de France. You're allowed to, like, the punters, general public, are allowed to cycle a bit. Uh, 
and they showed the, 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 we then watched the, the, the professional cyclists, the cyclists, cyclists, cyclists riding that bit. It was the most incredible mountain terrain ever. And my father-in-law is sixty-four, and I'm watching this going. Ah! I couldn't do anything like that at the, my peak of physical fitness, which I think was a weekend back in 1986. Um, this is Ian Lee on uh, BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Good morning. 08459 555555 is the telephone number if you wish to give me a call. Now, we're talking about sports. We're being warned that we're more likely to develop arthritis by not exercising properly. A new report says that many amateur athletes don't know how to warm up properly and don't treat injuries seriously. Let's have a chat to celebrity sports trainer Luton's Greg White. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. What's the main message of this report? I mean, it's a, a piece of research undertaken by Arthritis Research UK and yeah. the Charlotte Society of Physiotherapy that really was looking at one of two things. One was how much exercise do people actually do? Are they hitting this government guideline of 150 minutes per week? Now, when you say 150 minutes per week, what does that, what does that mean? Does that mean going to the gym and, and pumping iron? Absolutely not. And I think Good. You, do, do, do you know, I think that's actually the misconception, really. And right. I think this is probably the, the, where the message has been delivered incorrectly, and that is that it's about being active, really. It's not about running a marathon. Okay. It's not about pumping iron. It's you know, it is about actually just becoming more active. It does need to be of moderate intensity, which is sort of a brisk walk yeah. or, or a little bit harder, uh, and and it's thirty minutes a day, at least five days a week. So that's what we're t- that's what the target is. And you think that's you know, it's not a great deal. It is for me. I, well, did you know what, the other day? I'm I, I'm approaching forty, and I'm I'm not happy about it. Um, <laughs> and I've, I, I've always been very skinny, and I've just started to get a little bit of a pot belly. And I thought the other day, do you know what? Before I go to bed, I'm going to do ten sit ups and ten press ups. Just to kind of, you know, and then build up over time, right? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It was exhausted. And my I had cramps. And my, it, that, that's bad, isn't it? Well, uh, it's not good. <laughs> that's very very politely put. I'm Thank afraid you. I can't mask that one. But, but, you, but you know what, though? The fact that you committed to, to starting something, it, that, that's the positive thing. And, and it is about, you know, it's about starting small and increasing it across yes. time. That's yes. the thing. And so don't, you know, what I'd say is don't be disheartened by that because when you can do 10 sit-ups and do 10 press-ups all yeah. of a sudden, that's incredibly uplifting and, and it will progress from there. Oh, you, you, bless you. You're being really kind about it, but inside I know you're laughing. <laughs> outside no, you're outside laughing. I'm laughing, yeah. As well. Now, you trained um, David Walliams for his channel and Thames Swims and Eddie Izzard for his marathons. That Eddie Izzard documentary, what was it? How many do 56 marathons or something? Uh, 43 marathons in 51 days. Oh, yeah. is that all? I thought it was yeah. 50. Yeah, it was only 43. It was the most <laughs> incredible programme uh, watching him do that. Did he he didn't stay injury free, did he? He did. Yeah. Did he? I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's an interesting one because people always say to me, how, "How did Eddie do that?" You know, with all the loading that's going on in the joints, and he didn't pick up any problems. And he, and it really was about the, the sort of quality of preparation mm. that, that he did every single morning. The one great thing about Eddie was that whenever I, whenever I sort of turned up, he'd already started his warm up. He right. was warming up, and he, he, he had it. He was meticulous about it, and, and that made a massive difference both to his performance, but also his injury potential. It, it basically eliminated his injury potential. And then, obviously, crucially, is the cool down as well. And it's actually what you do after exercise, yeah. which is very important as well. So, it, uh, it, it's a tricky one because invariably we're always rushing 
to get to our exercise session if we're rushing to the gym or yeah. we get home late and and, and and the first thing that we start to drop is the warm up and the cool down and actually they're the, probably the most important elements for the longevity of exercise give us time. a couple of tips for the warm up and the cool down what, would you, what, what do you recommend you know what it's what it's what it says on the tin warm up is about warming the body temperature it's about the core temperature but importantly the muscle and the ligament and the, te- and, and the tendon temperature and that requires just a little bit of light exercise light mm. aerobic exercise follow that with a little bit of a stretch you know it doesn't have to be more than five to ten minutes maximum before you actually start and then at the end just think about just cooling down just nice and relaxed don't stop the session immediately and then go and sit down mm. uh, in, in front of the telly just do maybe five or ten minutes of very easy light work and a, a, a light stretch and it's as simple as that. The thing about Eddie is, I'm sure you're not recommending this for everybody listening, but those ice-cold baths he took, <laughs> that looked worse than the marathon. Just yeah. a bath full of ice cubes. How painful is that? Do you know what? He didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful to watch. Uh, and that's great. It, it doesn't do anything, but it just gives me some fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, it, 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 I mean, very, very important. I, I did it this year. If you saw John Bishop, I looked after John. And, you did John as well, did you? Okay, yeah, right, yeah. And, uh, and, and that, that's, it's really really important in, in those type of activities where you've got multiple days of incredibly mm. arduous exercise for most of us for in fact for the vast majority of us we don't need to do that uh, a simple warm-up and a cool down will suffice how much did john raise in the end for, for the, the, the charity it was millions wasn't it 4.2 million pounds mental i was I, yeah. cause i've always i've been asked to do like marathons and stuff like that for charity and i'm always do you know what i'll just write a check I would rather. I'm not writing a check for four million, but I, I would rather write a check for a couple of hundred quid than run a marathon. It's never going to happen. Uh, you're you're a you're a pentathlete. You must be looking forward to the Olympics. I am. I tell you, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think everybody can feel it now. It was interesting that that, that this, this groundswell of emotion since they started the, the flame, yeah. the, the torch relay. Do you think well, what difference does the torch relay make? But I think it's actually brought. It's basically brought the whole country into into the event, really focusing it on the It has, because I was, I was very cynical about all of this, and the, the yeah. torch, who cares? And I was watching the first day on telly and thought, this is ridiculous. But on Monday, I was at the, the Luton torch, as it was being run, run through Beds, Hearts and Bucks, and it was really exciting. Yeah. It was properly exciting, and hundreds, thousands of people turned out to watch it at half past six in the morning, yeah. and it was a real sense of bringing the community together, which I'm a big fan of that, and um, and also, I, I keep saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go to the Olympics, but I'm going to get tickets for the Paralympics, because if you're thinking, I kind of want to support this, but the tickets are a bit expensive, Paralympics tickets, 10, 15 quid. And listen, and I'll tell you what, if you want inspiration, oh, man. the Paralympic Games is an absolutely incredible event. Yeah. I think we, we often sort of forget about it because we focus on the Olympics. On the that, proper Olympics. Well, yes, you know, you know, in inverted not, commas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, you're right. And, uh, and you've got exactly the right idea because actually getting to and from the venues will be that little bit easier. Yeah. The tickets are that much cheaper and the, the support, the sport and the competition is no less It's impressive. still just as good. It's incredible. still just as good, you know, and if, if not more impressive. Uh, listen, uh, Greg White, thank you very much. Greg is, uh, is a celebrity sports trainer who's worked with, um, you know, you see uh, John Bishop doing his, his ridiculous task and Eddie is uh, running 40-odd marathons in 50 days. Just bonkers.
Warm up and cool down, for goodness sakes. That's uh, that's the tip from that. We've got, uh, talking about the rain earlier on and the bad weather and how it's affected you, we've got Dennis from Dunstable. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine now. I'm a Mancunian, so the water just bounces off oh, me. Oh, you, you're I'm, used to it then, sir. I've got web feet. How has the rain affected you? Is it? Uh, b- d- Unfortunately, it's made my garden grow. I had, I'm getting on a little. I'm 87 now, and I had somebody coming round and cut the garden down with yeah. a machine. The, the, Machine, you know, cost me two hundred and seventy quid. Yeah. It's a waste of money. I, I open the door at night. I open the door at night. I can hear the blasted plants growing. <laughs> I cut the lawn the other day, right? Uh, and I, I broke the blade on a on a rock, but I didn't know that I'd broken the blade. <laughs> so it's kind of I, I didn't look, but the, the lawn is all completely dug up now because this blade was just churning the earth over. <laughs> what a waste of my life that was. Yeah, well, of course, this garden is my wife's pride and joy right and i oh i get earache now for having them cut cut down too much but now it's growing so fast she won't let me go out and cut it again hang on a minute dennis it's your wife's pride and joy but you're doing the cutting no i got somebody else to do the cutting i'm not that daft and did you get told off because he cut it back too far yes that's right because i'm uh, being a mancuna i was born in a pub I spent uh, my engineering time working for every, in, a, in a shop with a stone backyard, so yeah. there's no plants. I went in the Navy for seven years, and it's difficult drawing roses on a steel deck. And I came here, and my wife's gone mad about gardening. I yeah. totally loathe gardening. Yeah, yeah, I awful. like a nice garden. Yeah. But I don't want to do it. I mean, I'd love a steak, but I wouldn't kill the cow to get it. Dennis, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun doing this with callers like Dennis. Thank you for that. Let's get the latest on the roads now, shall we? Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. The headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government's plan to turn the House of Lords into a mainly elected chamber have gained a Commons majority of more than 300 votes. But David Cameron suffered his biggest backbench rebellion as Prime Minister with 91 Conservative MPs opposing the changes. The rebels include eight from this region, including Bedford's Richard Fuller, Hitchin and Harpenden's Peter Lilly, and St Albans and Maine. Ministers will set out their plans later for the future of social care in England. Under the proposals, elderly people would be offered council loans, allowing them to delay selling their home until after their death. But no conclusion has been reached on how to change the funding of the system. In sport, Watford's new chief executive says it's a case of when they get to the Premier League, not if. Scott Duxbury, along with new manager Gianfranco Zola, appeared at last night's Vicarage Road press conference, the first appearances in public since the takeover by the Italian Pozzo family. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, most places starting dry, becoming brighter for a time, but with scattered heavy showers developing, top temperature is 18 degrees. Coming up, it's National Transplant Week, and all week on BBC Three Counties, we'll be getting a greater insight into the Yorgan Transplant Plan process. Our reporter Jenna will be meeting a woman from the three counties who had her life transformed after an organ transplant. If you want to get in touch, 08459 455 555. Uh, I've got some of, your, some of the texts here. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Uh, Wendy and Rickman's mer- wor- R- mm, Rickmansworth. Thank you. Remember, if it rains on St Swithin's Day, it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Good job we live on a boat. Yeah. One of my ambitions, uh, I have very low ambitions, one of my ambitions is to, is to spend the night asleep on a boat in, at, in, at the sea, at sea, in sea, in the sea. Uh, and I've never done it. If anyone can help me with that, that would be awesome. Uh, also, a uh, uh, text from Pat. The passion displayed by politicians... Oh, this is about reforming the House of Lords. The passion displayed by politicians over reforming the House of Lords is so sickening when the same passion ends when it involves members of the public who have many issues. Where is our referendum on Europe? 
or on hanging or sorting out the cost of care for the elderly to mention but a few. Stop protecting your rich friends and concentrate on our needs. Thank you for that, Pat. Now, it's six months since the government formally backed the high-speed two-rail line through Buckinghamshire. Tonight's drive time will be coming live from Great Missenden, where Roberto will look at the politics behind the project, who will be entitled to compensation, and he'll speak to the woman who only learnt her home was being knocked down when she lent to a, went to a local Women's Institute meeting. Plus, our reporter, Jessica Cooper, has been in Kent looking at the comparisons between HS2 and HS1. That was the sound of the high-speed one rail line passing along the route here in Kent. But what's different about this route to the one in Buckinghamshire is that it's sandwiched right between the A20 just behind me on one side, then there's the high-speed rail line, and then there's the M20. And this route has been designed to run along the whole of the M20 route so that the noise is taken away from the local people because they're already quite used to the sound of the motorway if they're living near it. Earlier on in this show, we heard from Charles England, who runs a company from his home in South Heath. HS2 will be built 400 yards away from where he lives. When you talk to people, talk to businesses in this area, uh, and talk to, to, to landowners in this area, it, it hasn't gone away. And, and you almost work on the basis that there's going to be a band of properties, as we all know, within a few hundred yards of that proposed route, that are going to be extremely difficult to sell if you can sell them at all, uh, and those people, if they can move away, rent those properties. And there's going to be a, a sort of a non-community all the way along that route through the built-up area, certainly around the Chilterns. Let's talk now to Nick Pounce, who runs the Savills Estate Agents in Amersham. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. How is HS2 affecting the housing market in your area? Um, without doubt, it's, uh, it's a big issue, uh, constantly being talked about by uh, buyers and sellers. Uh, it's cast uh, a real black cloud over the area. Uh, so it makes life very hard in what is still very tough market conditions. Are properties selling? Because I would imagine if I was looking to buy a house, I would stay well away from that. Is that, is that what's happening generally? I think for some people, I mean, obviously when you buy a house, you look at the negatives and the positives, and this is a big, big negative. Mm. Um, if, if people uh, take the attitude they want the house, uh, it's realistically priced, there is still a possibility, um, but without doubt it does, it does cause problems. Uh, what about the prices? Are, are, are they taking a hit because of this? Um, the, the market is quite suppressed anyway, so obviously people have to be realistic with their pricing and, and buyers are being very cautious uh, you know, with their spend. Um, you have to treat every house on an individual basis mm. to sort of say whether it's going to be affected uh, by HS2 in terms of, of discounts. Now, Charles mentioned earlier on that um, the, the HS2 could lead to non-communities because instead of houses being sold, they'll just be rented and it'll be kind of a transient population. Do you think that could happen? Uh, nothing's impossible. Uh, we haven't noticed uh, an uplift of letting activity around the HS2 route. Um, uh, it certainly may be a solution for some people, but it won't uh, won't suit everybody um, because obviously it doesn't free up some equity, and you do have issues with your lender. Mm. So it's not the, the answer to, to, for everybody. Nick, listen, thank you very much for that. That's Nick Pounce, who runs uh, Savills Estate Agents in Amersham. Um, keep listening throughout the day uh, to find out more about the HS2 and um, get you thinking about how it could affect you. Now, this is very important. It's National Transplant Week, and here on BBC Three Counties, we'll be getting a greater insight into the organ transplant process. Yesterday... 
We spoke to Sandy Beck from Coldicott, who suffered from kidney disease for 20 years. After a successful transplant, she's planning to walk the Great Wall of China. But stories like Sandy's wouldn't be possible without organ donors, and more than 7,000 people nationwide are still waiting for transplants. Our reporter Jenna Benson is at an organ donor uh, awareness campaign by the Lister Hospital in Stevenage. Yes, Ian, I'm standing in a very windy Sainsbury's car park, and just over the road I can see the Lister Hospital, and in the foyer of Sainsbury's, they're just uh, finishing up, setting up a desk with all the information that you could possibly need on organ donation. And Liz, you're here with me today, and you've just been uh, at the desk, and as I came to speak to you, you've already had people approaching you, trying to find out more. That's right, you know, that's the whole idea of this stand today, is actually to get ourselves out to the general public and encourage people to join the organ donor register and answer any of their questions. Now, you, you work for the NHS as well, so when people normally approach desks like this, they may think that the, the person that's trying to tell them the information doesn't have the background, but you right. do. Yes. So what is it? How many people are you actually trying to sign up? Is there a target? What are you trying to achieve? Um, well, I actually work for NHS Blood and Transplant, and my colleague and I are both coordinators. So, you know, we are specialised in this area. And what we just want to do is answer the public's questions and encourage them to join the organ donor register. Um, but we, you know, please come along and we'll we'll have a chat with you. <laughs> well, some people might think, well, why Sainsbury's? When you, you're shopping for for your lunch, you wouldn't necessarily think yeah. about going on the organ donor register. My colleague and I are actually based at the Lister and the QE2 Hospital in Wellin, and it's just across the road. We have colleagues that want to come across and support our cause, and. Um, do you, do you think as well that, that people, when you approach them, because obviously you, you're in a very busy foyer, that some people may have a, a barrier that comes up when you, you try to approach them about this subject? Because it is a very sensitive subject. It is, and you know we're not here to pressurise the public in any way. It's an individual choice, and you know we just want to answer the questions that people put to us not sort of bully them into it in any way you're here all day you're giving away balloons as well we are what time are you here until till four o'clock this afternoon so do come along you know we'd be happy to chat with you there's a lot going on in this sainsbury's car park at the moment just behind me you've got the uh, beds and hearts breast screening service so you can come down to sainsbury's which is obviously the list hospital get your car washed get your shopping Talk to Liz about the organ donor register and maybe even go and get your breast screened. I shall be doing that. Thank you, Jenna. Jenna, could you ask uh, Liz, uh, surely the opt-out system is the best way forward where everyone assumes that your organs are up for grabs unless you opt out of it? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk, Liz, about the opt-out system. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Should everyone just have to opt out rather than opt in? Um, It's a very individual choice. We're not sure whether that's the positive way to go forward at the moment. You know, last year when we had that campaign, you know, a million people signed up. So it's obviously working the way it is, actually. Excellent, Jenna. Listen, thank you very much for that. Uh, Superb stuff. I think it's very important that, um, you know... Listen, when I go, you can have whatever you want. Seriously. You can have whatever you want. And it must be hard work and emotional for people having to make that decision about husbands and wives and mothers and children and things like that. But you help someone live. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, We've got George in Bedford. Good morning, George. Yeah, hi. HS2, how's it going to affect you? HS2, yeah. HS2. Yes. A lot of people don't realise this. It's a European Union initiative. Mm. It's being pushed forward by the European Union. Right. That's, the, that's where 
it's been instigated from. Because effectively, um, you have um, regions, don't you? I mean, the, the country's being split into regions. And uh, England is just a region of, of, of Europe, and that's, that's part of the... Part and part of the, uh, an EU membership member. We're running out of time. I haven't got much time, and this, this is fascinating. Where is your evidence that this is a, a, an EU directive? Well, you can look it up uh, on the um, on the internet. It's, it's there. Uh. It's something called TNT. Right. Okay. That's where it's being pushed forward. It, it, it didn't start with the government deciding to do this. It, it actually emanated from... Uh, but if, if the government didn't think it were a good idea, they could stop it. They have the power to stop it. Europe can't tell you possibly, to put a train... Possibly. Possibly, I don't know. But I mean, all the evidence suggests that that to the cost and far far outweighs any benefit. I mean, twenty minutes off the journey time or whatever it is. I mean, it, it doesn't seem a lot. George, I've, I've got to move on. Just kind of want to get in, um, David. Good morning, David. Yes, good morning. Well, if the EU, if this is correct, and I'm sure it is, then they must jolly well pay for it. That's my view. I'm an ex-British Rail employee. If the EU is so flush with money, let them pay for it. The only reason they're flush with money is because we give them, like, £20 million a second or something ridiculous. Absolutely right. (laughs) David, thank you very much. Ta-ta. There we go. Wonderful. Listen, uh, while I'm doing this show, I want to speak to more people like George and David. Sounds like a sitcom, doesn't it? I I want more calls, so I'm I'm really... You've got to work at this. I'm not just going to come and do this for you, okay? You've got to work with me on this. I want your phone calls. We'll discuss this, we'll continue this discussion tomorrow, class. I hope you're paying attention. Time for the latest travel. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow, bright and early at six o'clock. Do stick around. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on, and he's asking, is the cost of elderly care worrying your family? Do give him a call, he'll speak to you after this. The latest news. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.